everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mike Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Leon. Here I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey, people. Hey, everybody. Oh, and we finally got him back. Jamie is back. Hello, hey. Jamie. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me back. Look at that. We've got three folks on the podcast today. We brought Jamie in, bringing the big guns in, because we are at the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We are at episode six. Now, I believe when they originally shot this, when they originally wrote this, they thought this would be the series finale. They have marketed it as the series finale. However, um, it does seem like some of the actors really liked doing the show, so they have been pushing for a season two. Who knows if we'll get a season two, but for the moment, we're going to consider this the end of the series. Spencer, you I sent you text messages because I wanted to know what you thought. You ignored mm-hmm. my text messages like always. Her tradition. Finally, I get you on the call. What did you think of the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, net positive because of a truly expertly done series of epilogues. Uh, I had some issues during the course of the episode. The show never really got transitions right and had some of the dumbest space scenes since Last Jedi. Um, but in terms of the overall character for a couple of the characters, including a few I thought I would never care about, uh, and the ultimate conclusion for several of these characters, and the wonderful notes and wonderful return of classic Star Wars music that we got in the series, the epilogues, I was I was positive on it. I quite enjoyed where where this where this series ended up. Good above the mean for Spencer Jamie. What did you think? Initial reactions, Episode Six, Obi Wan. I uh, thought it was very good. I do have some nits to pick, but uh, at that point, it's the fact that it's good with some things that bothered me, but it, it's big net positive. I had not heard that there might be a season two. That would be fun, but I'm, this worked very well as a series finale. I, I'm glad I'm happy to be talking about it that way. Cause that's. Yeah, that's how we'll talk about it. I think if they do a season two, it might be very different, right? I don't think they're going to do another Vader Obi-Wan clash. Like I, I feel like it would end up being different. So let's just talk about this as a sort of standalone thing within the, within the Canon timeline. I'll say this, it's probably going to surprise the both of you. Um, I did have a couple issues with the episode. I, uh, I didn't, I, I will say though, that there was a moment in this episode that I put in my top three emotional star Wars moments of all time. Everybody knows my, emotional star wars list i mean this is well known uh mm-hmm. throughout the Published. star wars universe yeah um the broke into the top three uh a moment in this episode uh along with um luke i am your father and um i hate you i hate you obi-wan as anakin burns as my Damn. top emotional moments of the of the series of all of star wars at this moment oh and um season two mandalorian when luke saves grogu is up there too but this is very much in the top like emotional moments for me because there were there were some there was some stuff here. You know, I, I tried to explain it like this. Like I think if you just watch Obi-Wan the this series, then when you get to certain moments of this episode, you'll be like, Oh, wow, you know, like it that's interesting how they ended that. But if you like start with episode one, <laughs> episode two, all of Clone Wars, episode three, then watch this motherfucker, like I feel like it's gonna hit you hard in the heart. Mm. Uh, Certain, certain moments so it's it's dependent upon you understanding that the the back catalog of all of the canon i'd agree with that i mean it, it we talked about this being a very direct sequel to established star wars lore in the form of revenge of the sith and clone wars and this episode really goes into that heavily and some of the, particularly the moments of confrontation between obi-wan and uh well whether we want to call him darth vader or anakin is subject to debate within this episode um but they, they were directly harkening back to those points and serving a direct continuation of them. So, yeah, I, I very much agree with you there. OK, so we are going to jump into our normal 
sort of structure here for Mango Talk Star Wars, I will lead the recap heroically every week from my notes, leading the recap as Jimmy and Spen- uh, Jamie and Spencer jump in and tell me all of the the nits that they want to pick for the episode. And then I will go to best line of the episode, I and I alone, and Emperor best line of the episode. Shout out the Emperor! We got the Emperor back. Oh my God, I was so fucking happy. Ian oh. returns. Wasn't expecting that. Who do we do we know which actor? Did Emperor? Yeah, it's the he same guy. It again. He it did, was, yeah, he came back and did it. Yeah, it's right. absolutely fucking cool. And then we will go to nostalgic moment of the episode. Spencer rocks this segment every week, always coming up with some nostalgic moments that we can pull from the episode to make parallels and connections to previous parts of the canon. And then we will go to was this episode, and we could probably do was this series, since this is the end of the series, on par with what we felt like the quality of the prequels were. Right. So Spencer, yeah, I mean, Jamie laughing. And I loved the prequels. And so it's actually a pretty high bar for me, lower bar for Jamie and, and Spencer. Maybe Spencer's somewhere in the middle there, but we'll get to that segment when we do. Guys, any issues with me? Go ahead and start in the recap. Get going, man. Woo! Let's do it. All right, we start. With a recap of the previous five episodes, big focus on Reva and her divided loyalties. I think I don't think it was hard to suss out that Reva was still alive, but I think when you watch the recap, it's pretty ev- evident that Reva was still going to be a part of the story in this episode. And we got I I feel like we got this quote twice. Maybe you're bringing him to me. You're not bringing him to me. I'm bringing him to you. So definitely wanting to convey to the audience the divided loyalties of Reva and and know that we're going to tackle that in this episode. Get the opening credits. We start on Tatooine. A guy breaks in line to get water. Looks like the same guy who was Obi-Wan's boss earlier in the series. At the meat factory, yeah. Seems to me they might have run out of crate dragon meat. He's uh He needs now just the free water. So he must have been out of a job. That contract must have ended. And we see Reva uh, approach. I swear the way they've dressed her to me felt very gray Jedi. Right. It didn't feel dark, didn't feel light, but it did have that Jedi vibe with the robes. But I I couldn't tell how they were dressing her in the light or dark. Uh, Jamie, you talked about your love of gray Jedi. I I think I think there's some points to make there about the mix of styles that are kind of going into the outfit they've got her in these last few scenes. Yeah, I I almost took it as this is her in desert wear when she's not trying to intimidate and draw attention though then she goes in and intimidates and draws attention but I, so I <laughs> it's what she does i mean yeah I, this was her look this is for her the same way that obi-wan wandering around with his lightsaber swinging from his hips is it's his incognito mode that's when he's mm. sneaking mm. um it's sorry but on that episode to talk about how much i hated that he was i'm incognito in my jedi robes with a showing and with giant swinging big lightsaber energy you have to understand that in this series stealth is you press control and you are stealth (laughs) that's how it goes you turn on stealth mode and you are stealth doesn't matter what you're wearing doesn't matter what you're doing in defense of the series in defense of the series i'm not sure most people on tatooine are trained to look for a lightsaber on someone's hip so that might be something that we are noticing um but not necessarily them yes but that what okay not not to skip what episode we're talking about but but I wasn't here that day that was about getting on like an international skyliner or something he, he was going out. through TSA at the time yeah going through TSA with it showing he's getting on a big old skyboat with hundreds of strangers and probably imperial folks with it showing and they did just string up a Jedi like that day I'm mm, questionable choices 
Yeah, the, I'm still in, not sure that the average person would know to look for a jet or lightsaber or even know what the hell it was. Spencer? In, in, in fairness to Reva, though, she's not trying to stay hidden. If anything, no, she, she wants people to know from the jump street that I'm here, I want this, and I'll kill anybody that doesn't give it to me. But in the in the vein of that sort of gray Jedi mold, she does slap the water out of the guy's hand because he cut in line. So, you know, already she's starting to do what she's I would afraid. equate with. I would equate with some Jedi behavior, which is stepping in and helping the little guy, which it seems like she's doing here. I mean, go ahead, Spencer. But it's a purposeful reference back to that confrontation of when we first met her of where Jedi have to feel the need to do that confrontation. And it's playing with it. She is doing a Jedi kind of thing where she's intervening, but it's purely for her own purposes. And I think I think that they're doing it well in terms of the setup with this character of where it's a muted, conflicted Reva we're seeing in almost every scene we get of her, of where this is a person between worlds. This is a person that has invested everything in one thing and it taken away from her, invested everything in another and find out she was being set up for betrayal from Jump Street. She does not know who she is. She is dancing between the light and the dark. Because from her perspective, everyone she's ever cared about or tried to become part of is abandoned her. Yeah, there's so, a great parallel with Reva and Anakin, and that's why I think we we and I think maybe Spencer, you were alluding to some of the the cinematic choices here. Um, you know, the cut between the Vader Obi Wan fight and Reva. I, I didn't always love those cuts and jumps, but I think they're trying to draw a parallel to Reva along with Anakin battling the light and the dark within them. That is what they're trying to do. And if it was set up that these aren't meant to be happening at the same time, I'd be with it. I think from a filming standpoint, it's important to do those kind of themes and those tensions. The fact that they're literally occurring at the same time requires instantaneous level travel I don't enjoy. No, it's, um, yeah, they're not happening at the same time, though. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves in the episode. I can talk about why. We'll get there. I, I, yeah, like, so here's the here's the deal I'll make with you guys. You you can complain about the episode all you want, but let's wait until I get to that point to recap right. the pitch about it. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> she <stops laughs> she's looking kind of um, almost Indiana Jones because she's on Desert World, and also because she had to just go in whatever clothes she could find. I think partially she's like, also injured, she's, she, and she is injured. Do, do do we know how long of a time jump we got here? It's got to be at least days for her to, you know, get stand up, patch her wound at least a little bit, get a ship, get to tattooing. There's got to be at least some transition of time. I mean, the ship's just around. She's not going to, like, lick her wounds for days. She's going to get on and heal while she travels. And it would seem to me that that she it's been a couple days, maybe. But, I mean, we don't have a sense of, like, I mean, they're they're not. They, they're not breaking down like this is a four hour trip. This is an eight hour trip. Like they're just not going to get in those details. If you want that, then this probably isn't serious for you. Yeah, um, but is how fast they ship, they fly. Cut to the escape transport, trying to outrun the Imperial Star Destroyer. This is what um, Spencer and I talked about last episode, where it looked like our heroes were pretty much fucked because there's an entire Imperial Star Destroyer behind them. Vader's Imperial Star Destroyer at that. And they are one little teeny transport that doesn't even have a hyperdrive. Vader walks up to the bridge, says, increase firepower. Roken comes out to the group and says, the hyperdrive's almost ready. Um, this is this is the people on the Titanic who were like, hey, guys, if you just get in this line, everything's going to be fine. Like, don't worry about it. We all, this, this actually was planned. But this is all under control. Roken's trying to play that card. Obi-Wan immediately susses that out, walks up to him and says, we're not going to make it to this planet that you said we're going to make it to, right? Like you, this is all bullshit. And Roken explains, well, it's kind of bullshit. Not, not, not a hundred percent. Right. Because we do need time and 
Well, we don't have it, obviously. And Obi-Wan is left to look around. He looks around at all the people. He sees Leia. She's using Lola to comfort people. Shout out Leia. Can we just give Leia a round of applause here? We'll do Shout it. Shout out yes. Leia. For using, for using Lola to help help comfort the people, thinking of other people ahead of herself. I really loved that they had that moment for her character. She walks up to Obi-Wan and says, they're scared. She, being Lola, keeps their mind off of it. Obi-Wan, maybe I should borrow her too. And then we get a good smile between the two. So well, one thing I noticed right there, um, and, and this, I think it works just fine. Uh, she's already a leader. She's looking out for other people. But there's a thing that people do they've, in studies, and especially kids, where they can't deal with their own trauma. But if you give them somebody to help and take care of, right. they'll be, project their trauma onto it and help. Like um, mm-hmm. after kids in schools have had things happen, a lot of times they paint pictures to help other kids in the class who aren't feeling good. And then they mm-hmm. all got on board doing that. A school, I don't, maybe, it, maybe that only happened once. But um, the idea that people who are in trouble, and this is in a lot of actually sci-fi deals with this, of characters saying this because it's a really good moral, is the best way to help yourself is to try to help other people. And that, that, so this is a this like in all things, Mr. Rogers had this nailed. Um, Mr. Rogers nailed this with the quote, all, you know, when you're when you're tro- when you're in trouble, when you're in pain, look for the helpers and, and gravitate to the helpers. Mr. Rogers nailed that. But, yeah, you're, it's a great point, Jimmy. She might be. Oh, she's freaking out. Sidelining parking lot, her own trauma in this. But either way, she is helping other people and she is being kind. So, you know, there's that. It, it also feels very authentic as a very Leia way of responding to a situation of where Leia from everything we've seen in prior media is a person who takes her own pain and buries it in a deep pit and it's going to address it some point in the future when she has time and then is there for other people. So it is very in keeping for how a person of her age processing trauma, but it's also very in keeping of how a Leia would be handling this kind of situation, which fits of where as much as I was scared of the idea of them making a child actor a key component of the show this girl has done very well in being crushed. No, this, it. Absolutely this, crushed. This it. is Leia age 10. I have no doubts about this. We've yep. never given an Emmy to someone 10 years old before, but I think it's, it should be on the table because she did it in a phenomenal job. I, uh, I will say that it felt like Spencer was talking about himself there with the, I'm going to pocket and push all of this down into a, a small bubble that will never come back out while I just help other people. It seems like you were connecting with Leia a little bit there. We also have, um, evidence sure of Leia doing it all. We have evidence of Leia doing this, I think, kind of in some of the sequel movies, right? Where, like, when all hell is breaking loose, she's the general. She's the one that's still, like, finding people to help. She's the calming presence for everyone uh, while the resistance is really in a lot of trouble. So it's just some consistency in the character across the different forms. The original trilogy. Oh, your your mentor died? Who? Now we know her connections to him also. Let me come for you. Uh, Alderaan, that's fine. Uh, don't worry about Alderaan. I'll, I'll deal with that later. Oh, or, or hell, now, now that we knows, guy I liked quite a bit, guy that saved me at age 10, guy that, you know, I have gone across the galaxy to go find for the purpose of the rebellion and my missions. He just died. I knew him a lot better than you did, but Luke, I know you're having a bad day. I'm here for you. She huh. doesn't know she knew him better than Luke did, though, because she all she knows is that Luke knew him on Tatooine. She doesn't know how often Luke was talking to Ben and... Yeah, how much how much a part of he was growing up. So um, cut to Owen. He's got Luke with him. Uh, what do we think about the casting of young Luke? Does this look like a young Mark Hamill to anyone? Yeah, I didn't really think. I, I actually didn't think so. I thought he looked too blocky, but kids change and grow. Oh, yeah. He didn't no, really I, look like I, a young Mark Hamill to me. I, I think he did. I, I, I bought it completely. I mean, it's not twin, but it, it's close enough. He's, he's got the right haircut. 
Um, Luke's walk, Luke walks in and so they've gone to like a shop and, and Luke walks in and tells the owner of the shop they need a new belt for the speeder. Apparently Luke broke the old one. Keep it in character with these kids. And in some in comes someone who tells Owen there's something you need to know. Uh, I think it's the same guy from the waterline. And so he's he's given he's given Owen merchant? some yeah. intel that, hey, man, somebody pretty strong because he sees her use the force is 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 after you. So not a good situation for Owen. I, I was actually really surprised at that one that she let the guy like just go after asking him, where does Owen live? That he was able to keep in his head. I'm going to go tell Owen. And she didn't what? out his. It, why was she not following him and then killing him right there in the shop? Well, it wasn't the guy that she interrogated. It was the merchant that was selling water. Merchant he was the one was selling watching water went, went to go tell, um, uh, oh. bit, uh, went to go tell Owen. The actual guy that she confronted, that guy may be dead in a ditch because we don't see him again at all. I thought I she hope was a water salesman, and she's basically pushing greedy McGruffman just out of the way to go talk to the water merchant instead. I might have just misread that scene. So not no, I think the water merchant was a fly on the wall, and he 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 came to report the intel. That's how I saw it anyway. Uh, Cut to Leia screaming at Obi-Wan, no, you can't just leave me here. I won't let you. Again, you know, like, is this is this perfect acting? Is this Meryl Streep circa, nine, you know, 2003? No, but it is really good for a 10-year-old, I must say. Uh, her facial expressions, how it looks like she's about to cry or has cried. Um, I thought she did a great job again. Also, it's how 10-year-olds act and talk when they're upset. Like, a lot yeah. of – I some of the things, especially in the earlier episodes that Leia did, bothered me a little bit, but then I just thought of, you know. This is a 10-year-old. And no, that's 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 at least within one standard deviation of things I've seen at every mm-hmm. point, every single one. Oh, you're in the middle of life in that situation and you're playing hide and seek. I, yeah. Nope. That's that's exactly what kids would do. Or this kind of just screaming, freaking out in this kind of weird right. yeah. combination of stoic, brickish and super emotional at the same time. Yeah. No, nope, that's how kids would be. Good call. Her, her most frustrating behavior is the actions of a 10 year old you'd be frustrated at and it's like there's only so you you can't be pissed at the character you can't well you can but it's no different that you'd be frustrated at your own kid throwing a tantrum that's what she's doing she's remarkably mature for her age she's still her age yeah the alternative yeah. is you have anakin from episode one who i have less care <laughs> about yeah, we don't that that kid actually ended up like with severe mental issues for all of the shit that Star Wars fans gave him and he grew up like in a lot of trouble. So like I'm going to I'm going to give the the kid a pass who played Anakin in episode 1. Obi-Wan explains that Roken needs more time. Great quote here from Obi-Wan. You spent 10 years protecting the Jedi. This is my chance to return the favor. Although Roken does call bullshit later, it does sound pretty good in the moment. Obi-Wan then appeals to Roken. Obi-Wan tells him, "Look, all of you guys are the future. You are the future to Leia. You are who need to survive. So what Obi-Wan is saying here is like basically like I have a role here and it's it's not like I'm not the person that needs protecting. I am old, old news and I, I should sacrifice myself if I can to help you all. Go ahead, Spencer. Well, just one, one of the things I want to ask about this, I, I, I think all of these space, I like the scenes that are happening on the ship. Those are fine. The scenes that are happening in space around them are stupid, and we can go into those. But the implication of this is that we're screwed. I just need to talk everybody down because we're all screwed, but I don't want them panicking. When they've got a hyperdrive-capable ship in cargo that everyone's yeah. just going to take. It's like, yeah. why did that discussion not come up earlier? Or, or, like, put that hyperdrive into the big ship? Oh, yeah, you can't do that, though. 
like yeah can't yeah i mean you can you can you can like all shucks it all you want you can't take a like a, a small hyperdrive from a one person ship and put it on a big transport i mean spencer it makes a good point though it's like maybe roken could have said hey look we can save one person or two like you know like there Ro- there, there is a way to get a couple people out of here yeah stack them they don't have to be comfortable just you know pile them up like cornwood in the corner you get like 20 people on that thing it'd be great yeah but to go ahead Spencer. i've talked before but the the scenes that have frustrated me the most in the series are slow speed chases and that's basically what we've got happening right now in space of where a star destroyer is apparently unable i'm guessing this transport just uniquely has stronger shields than the tantu 4 because the star destroyer is plucking away and it's just fine for days i don't even know how it made atmosphere but it's also it's it's been chasing this thing for days and it's just going days you think it's been days it's been chasing and if we'll debate this the reva and those scenes are happening at the same time it literally has to be days for i don't think it's process been, i don't think it's been days uh and, but no it's got no it, it's not remotely has to be days that's the whole thing is that no no it does not it does not happen it depends whether it might, whether the scenes are happening at the same time or whether we're meant to interpret them happening at the same time. But we can debate that. I think there's evidence going both ways. There's also, and they did this same thing in The Last Jedi, it didn't make sense. This thing has six squadrons of starfighters that are faster than that. Why are they just sitting in the hangar? Why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they sending out separate divisions of people when they divide up here in a second? That so, reasons of plot. Um, I, I have one reason that that I'll accept. And I, I think I think it's the only one that even halfway holds water. I don't know if it helps for you. Anakin Skywalker is an emo whiny boy. And that's why. <laughs> he likes that's the explanation they go with. Well, because I, does he want a TIE fighter to blow up Obi-Wan Kenobi? No, he doesn't. Exactly. He does he not want that. His Star Destroyer to chase it. Does he want to like blow it up? Does he want to worry about it exploding or something? No, he wants to chase. He wants to increase firepower. Fine. My my, do- my dude, what do you think we've been doing? Have we been firing only half our guns this whole time for no reason? What what do you think? We can't increase firepower past firepower. Fine. Why doesn't he send all the all the red shirts then to go after the people he doesn't care about when they split up? Because only Obi Wan matters. I'm that and that one's never gonna work for me, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, I really, I really pity you, Spencer, because like if that scene takes you out of it, like I don't know how you enjoy media. Um, it, it was a rough starting 15 <laughs> minutes of this episode. I, I was pulling teeth just like, oh, come on. I know what you're trying to do, but you could do this so much better. So, well, how would they do it better? I mean, it, it, he's got a Star Destroyer and it, it, they, they have to they're, they're setting up for a 1v1 with Obi-Wan and Anakin. You have you have said they should send all the TIE fighters out and blow them up immediately. It effectively ending the episode in 14 minutes when do you what would you have preferred to see on the screen for it to make more sense yeah go Set ahead up the confrontation Block. on the planet before they ever take off that's how you could have done it is have them go in a completely different di- di- direction and have the fight actually happen on the last world they don't need to go to a complete other planet if they'd actually had it happen on the last world there's any number of ways they could have explained themselves around the empire again fighting with both hands behind its back the world they, you hated because you said that it was a bad set and it looked like it was just a B set background. They could, they could have done that better too. This is the problem I'm going to. I love the scenes <laughs> that they do. I love, the, I love the plot points they're oh, handling. Boy. It's just the Oof. weakest, most ham-handed execution to get there. So, so for the, I, I do agree with you that it doesn't make much sense that you just send like a Tie Fighter after 
the you know the the rebellion itself as he took his giant star destroyer of impressive compensation um <laughs> Obi-Wan. but my my theory if i was trying to make it all internally consistent why did he not do that his inquisitor his number two just said he had to and so now he's like screw you man i don't have to do anything we're letting those go because you did that yeah but now Learn, prep my own person but now prep my own personal ship that I'm now going to take after him separate here in a second anyway. Yes. I mean, I think if you if your your beef is that they don't use all of the planes in the hangar when star destroyers are chasing individual ships, then the Millennium Falcon should have blown up a million times. Like, I mean, <laughs> that that kind of happens to the Millennium Falcon all the time. And they notably uh, the do send series. TIE fighters after it in those scenes. Not every, they go through not, asteroid yeah. fields and stuff to survive. Okay, yeah, you're right, Spencer. Space. All right, yeah, it's terrible. All right, <laughs> cut to um, Owen going up to Baru. Obviously, he's explaining to her that Reva is coming. Baru wants to know how she, how he knows. Um, and uh, he just says, uh, she, you know, she's here. Uh, Owen tells Baru to run and hide. Shout out to Baru. A little character development here from Baru. Yeah, she just yeah. says, how about we just stand our fucking ground and shoot this motherfucker? Like she, And then she goes another step and says, we're not getting more people in here because that would endanger more people. Me and you are going to are gonna fight this thing. Me and you are going to do this. Um, you can say that's a stupid idea if you'd like, but it does show some guts from Baru, which I enjoyed. Yeah, I, I, I will never forgive Obi-Wan Kenobi. For making me care about characters I didn't used to care about who I've already seen burn and die. I don't like that. I don't want I, I was okay not caring about her because now I now episode four I have to watch her die. I mean, Lady, you were just referencing that I wouldn't be happy with this. They gave me this we've talked about before that I need the sentence. Give me the sentence explanation and that's I'll be fine with whatever you want to go for here. She gave me the sentence explanation for why they don't run. She gave me the sentence explanation for why they don't seek help. Yeah. And they gave me a backstory that I now yeah. fascinating about a character I've just previously written off as being a nice woman that then turns into a burned corpse. It's yeah, like this this episode or this series to me really answers the question for me, just for me, of how to introduce someone new to Star Wars. Because previous to the new, you know, canon when Disney took over, et cetera. I might have said start on four, five, six, then go back to one, two, three. But now I would say do one, two, three, do Clone Wars if you have time and definitely do Obi-Wan, because that way, when you get to episode four and you care about Owen and Baru, the the the, bat, the final battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader on the Death Star now has such greater importance than what it is if you start with episode four. I feel like you episode four could be a fucking mind blowing you know, part of the series if you if you do it in the timeline progression. So I don't know. For me, I, I just had that thought of like, ooh, maybe I would start somebody actually at the beginning of the timeline as opposed to episode four, then go back. That's actually a really interesting idea because I'll, I'll tell you, I was going to say this to talking later because you know, maybe you get to rant about which trilogy is better again. But <laughs> I, Obi Wan Kenobi, the TV show, made me want to go watch the prequels. And yep. just last night I watched episode one and. We can talk more about that later, but but that's a really interesting point. I kind of want to go watch episode four, like right now, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost want to rewatch Obi Wan. Not I don't I don't rewatch things that are quick, but in like a year, if I rewatch Obi Wan, I then want to watch episode four the same day. Like that sounds mm-hmm. like a really fun thing to do, actually. For sure, yeah, that's kind of yeah, very much in the same thought that right. I had. Um, so cut to, um, Haja and Leia. He goes up to Obi-Wan, um, and says, I talked to her. You're welcome. It's 
So basically what <laughs> happened here is uh, Obi-Wan told Hajar, like, I'm going to need you to comfort Leia, take care of her. And he just goes, I'll talk to her. You're welcome. Leia says to Obi-Wan, you said you'd take me home. So Leia's still kind of throwing a little bit of a tantrum here. And Obi-Wan says, I wish I could, Leia. I really do. Please tell your father I tried. Leia cuts, definitely cuts her eyes at Obi-Wan. And uh, he says he has something for it. It's Tala's blaster holder. He gives her the blaster holder and she notes that it's empty. Great line from Obi-Wan. Really actually genuinely made me laugh. Well, I wasn't going to give you a blaster, Leia. You're 10 years old. <laughs> and she sighs at this. Ugh. But, but you won't always be. But she won't always be. No, yeah, great follow-up. She hugs him, and Obi-Wan is clearly emotionally affected, as is she. Uh, and he says, come back, please. Obi-Wan says, I promise. Jimmy, Go ahead, Jimmy. I was just going to say, weirdly emotional line that you won't always be. That hit me way harder than it should have. Because looking back, like it's not that deep or clever of a line. But even repeating it now, I'm like, ooh, somehow that hits. It, Ewan McGregor's the master of doing that, of where it can be. It can be an utterly banal line, but he just brings a certain degree of warmth and characterization to it. And it sells it well. Their relationship has been sold well um, throughout, throughout this. Hello there. Yep, absolutely. He does that. Um, yeah. I I honestly believe, because I watched some of the, because I am I am this guy. I watched some of the coverage of the red carpet event of the, the premiere of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it seemed like the actress who played Leia and Ewan McGregor had a pretty special bond like as she was getting pictures taken of her if she had questions about like where to go like and what to do she was turning and running to ewan as opposed to anyone else in the crowd of people there so it seems to me that he might have actually established a personal connection with this young girl which would have been smart to do because that would make her acting those scenes where she's got to hug him and look at him lovingly and tell him she cares about him so much easier i my theory terry like theory here is that he established a connection a personal friendly connection with her to make it easier for her to act these scenes and that's why it looks so genuine it's also fun too with respect to this holster is i went back to check uh and oh yeah this this is either the holster that she was using in the battle of endor but i don't think so i think this may actually be a holster that is in the actual uh, old legends comic books in terms of when this holster shows up again i was like it looks a little bit like it It was a thigh holster there but it it still has the same kind of uh, leather kind of look um, but this, this could be just a very, just, you know, fan-based buried callback to see where this holster reappears in the later mythos. Cut to Obi-Wan with his lightsaber and he's talking to himself and he says, uh, I mu- I have to face him master, whether he dies or I do, this ends today. So, um, I, I already predict some of the, some of the concerns here, but he is, he is at least establishing that his mindset going into this is that one of us has to go. And he he has the lightsaber uh, form three, Sinisu, I believe it's called. And it's a it's a mainly defensive strategy. But I think this line was in there. Spencer, you talked about wanting the one sentence explanation. I think this line is in here to show why he is the aggressor in some of the later scenes, mm-hmm. because the Sinisu form typically you wouldn't be. But I think that he's established like, OK, this is a cage match what two men enter one man leave type situation and that's why you get a little bit more aggressive obi-wan than you get in anything other than i would say maybe his fight with darth maul in clone wars or rebels i mean um where he he actually does uh, he's the aggressor and it's a similar mindset right he goes into that battle with darth maul thinking one of us has to go here because this is this has gone on long enough so, so interesting, just real quick side point, because I, I have not seen that, but I've seen that one scene of him fighting with Darth Maul because I saw I saw a video of a swordsman 
going through a lot of sword fights and just talking about them. And that was when he gave 10 out of 10, because in that scene, he starts with his ordinary stance and then he shifts to the other stance that he had learned from Obi-Wan because he knew that his like one stance didn't work or something. Anyway, just the idea that you're, you're right, that the different stances, I don't know them as well as you do, but, um, yeah, I, I everybody should go watch that scene at least. Well, it's so. pretty cool because Darth Maul actually can, can command all all six. Um, so he's actually the the like on paper the best lightsaber fighter we've ever seen in the Star Wars universe. The problem is he's Sith and he acts on emotions and he gets the bu- the emotions bubble way too much during the fight and that leaves him open uh, in certain moments and that's how Obi Wan's able to defeat him twice. Screwball attack, one of the six, or is that a seventh? <sighs> <laughs> they don't talk about that one. That one, that one, that one's off camera. Uh, but it, <laughs> I, I also like the explanation in universe uh, for how skilled Darth Maul is. He's a master of all the styles, based on the fact that they actually just cast a swordmaster stuntman playing Darth Maul. It's like if you've got an actor that's got those kind of skills to bring to bear, you're going to create a continuity explanation for how damn good he is. Yeah, and Lucas actually did a, I think, did a good job with this because he explained that the Emperor, when he recruited Maul. Maul was a tool. He was never meant to rule the galaxy with him. It was during the transitional period when Sidious was, you know, Senator Palpatine, and he was moving up, and he basically he was an assassin, hired assassin. He knew Maul would not survive to when he took over the galaxy, and he never he he would have he would have killed Maul himself if it had got to that point. He he never intended for Maul to rule, so he really just recruited somebody to fight. That was it. it, it it's kind of interesting to think about is that he. We talked before about the Sith had the rule of two. There was always been the master, there was always been the apprentice, and we always saw Maul in the order of the, in the role of the apprentice. But in really, in, in terms of how you know the Emperor perceived him, he was much more like of an upjumped Grand Inquisitor before the Inquisitors were around. Yeah. Where yeah. I, I'm investing the bare minimum of you, and you're going to serve a purpose until I get who I actually want to fill your seat. Which is why, um, you know, Maul ends up like just hating, hating the Emperor. Um, for so long. And, you know, when he when Maul dies, I mean, we're off on a tangent here, but when Maul dies, he actually is kind of boys with Obi-Wan. He's like, yeah, go get him. Go get go get those motherfuckers. Like, let's let's do this. Enemy of my uh, enemy. He was very conflict conflicted. Uh, Roken comes out and appeals to Obi-Wan one last time. He's basically saying, like, look, dude, you don't have to do this. Like, I will fix the hyperdrive. We will get out of here. Like, you don't have to do this. And Obi-Wan, then he finally pieces it together and he says, it's not about us, is it? You want to do this. It's about you and him. So Roken has no idea about the history, obviously, between Obi-Wan and Anakin. But he is piecing together through Obi-Wan's actions that there is some personal connection and he needs to face him one on one, which to me signals that Roken's pretty astute. He's a, he's a smart guy. Uh, ben, Roken's not a, a pre-established character in the lore, but they are really setting him up as being in the new canon. This is going to be an early foundational guy in the Rebel Alliance. Where I, I don't, it doesn't seem like we're done with Roken based on how much they're built, including Obi Wan's last words to them that he's going to be an integral figure in the founding of the fight. Yeah, and you know, I mean, they're they're going back to, the way they're telling the story. It's not always like going to be. I mean, it's just not going to be perfect. Canon's I would love. I I wouldn't quite say that like quite that negative, but uh, there's going to be some rough around the edges stuff. I just wish that Roken had, had appeared in rogue one. That would have been really cool. Sure. Cause that, that would be consistent with his trajectory. I would think if he was part of the squad that was trying to get to death star plans, I don't know. It'd been cool if he was there. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, oh, in go ahead. the TV shows or something just because of how they set him up so well here. And I haven't seen all those. I assumed that he was, and I just didn't know the name. I'm, makes me a little yeah. sad that he wasn't. Nope. Obi-Wan then to, he might end up being in the rogue one prequel though, that we're going to get Andor. that might be what they're setting up for. Is that going to be um, called 
Zero? Because if not, I'm going to be disappointed. Say what? It's going to be called Rogue Zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Coke owns that. I don't think they're allowed to do that. <laughs> One Rebel, not enough Rogue. Obi-Wan then tells Rogan, there are not many leaders left. People follow you. Don't stop. Potential line of the episode. Rogan says, I'm just getting started. Woo! Just getting started, folks. Look out. You ain't seen nothing yet. Cue the dramatic music. Cut to the transport trying to outrun the Star Destroyer. Cut to Vader and Grand Inquisitor. Love this moment. They see the transport. Vader immediately knows it's Kenobi. Grand Inquisitor says, they need to follow the transport. They can't risk, you know, losing all those insurgents for one Jedi. And then Vader says, he's not just one Jedi. So I want to point out something here. Like, we... We are very – I think if you just watch the mainline movies, the main nine movies, and you're you're jumping into this series, you would think that Darth Vader is like a, a pure number two in the Empire, meaning everyone except for the Emperor reports to him. He has complete control, et cetera, et cetera. That is not true. Like he – his power is 100 percent vested in the, the fact that the Emperor likes him. There are many people in the Imperial Army that do not – like Vader, do not trust him, do not respect him. Tarkin talks down to him in episode four. There's many examples of this happening. And the Grand Inquisitor here is bucking Vader in a way that I think is should be evident to folk, folks, that like while Vader does have a high position in the in the Empire based on his relationship with the Emperor, he does not he is not the Emperor, right? <laughs> People do not kowtow to everything that he says or does. And uh, I think that's important when you start thinking about like the trajectory of Anakin slash Vader uh, in these 20 years between episode three and episode four. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a good point to mention of where he doesn't really fit into the established order that the Empire has been trying to build around. His role is kind of nebulous and also tenuous that he doesn't have an official title. I and mean, he, he said in episode four, he's basically assigned to Tarkin. And in Leia's words, Tarkin's holding his leash. It, we... It, as the emperor, as the empire and the emperor gets more powerful, and you know uh, Darth Vader through it, by the five and six he's commanding fleets and whatever else. But as you said, that's purely because the emperor said he's in charge, rather than that he has any necessarily actual role in the formal command structure. And it's 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 evident in the Tarkin books or the Thrawn books too, where Thrawn respects the fact that Vader has a line into the emperor. But he doesn't trust his judgment in the way he trusts the emperors. He bucks him often. He will fight with him about like things as mundane as resources. You'd probably like the Thrawn book, Spencer, because it really gets in the weeds. Like I, I read the old ones. Like like they argue about like should we spend money on my Tie Fighter project or the Death Star? Like so he's willing to even engage in bureaucratic battles with Vader to try to get strip resources and strip people from him. So he's not Thrawn isn't scared of Vader either. So it's it's just like. Just trying to impart on the casual fan here that Vader fights a lot of battles within the Empire structure because he is not in control of everything. He only has power vested in him through Emperor Palpatine. Is he not, though, the leader of the Inquisitors or over the Inquisitors or able to murder the head Inquisitor and rename them if he wants to? It seems like he does have direct control over them. He does. He does. We've talked about that. That that is like he he has a very small number of direct reports and it looks like the Inquisitors are. But what I just wanted to point this out, because it does seem like the Grand Inquisitor bucks him here and tells him you're wrong. We shouldn't do this in a way that I highly doubt he would ever do to Emperor Palpatine. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Cut to Tatooine and Owen and Beru are telling Luke that the Tuscans are on the hunt again. So they're they're lying. They're lying to him, just telling him a story that he would understand. 
tells him that if anything goes wrong, you know what to do, run. So they must have had Tuscan raids before that they've dealt with because they tell him, you know, you know what to do during one of these, Luke. If things go sideways, just run out into the desert. Luke, I'm not afraid. Woo! Skywalker ain't afraid. <laughs> Damn it. And they effectively hide him in the closet. And Jamie, Jamie, you were saying how much you liked that. I liked that, too. That felt very parental that, you know, there's something bad happening, but you're 10. Let's do a cover story right now. Yeah, the the, the appropriate amount of badness, you know, to make this as good as possible. We're going to tell you what you need to know. Um, and, you know, trying to trying to be as honest as you can with kids without being too honest is a fun <laughs> little dance. And I feel like that's what they did here is, you know, they if if they died and he stayed in the hole mm-hmm. wanted to be you know they said goodbye effectively if he hears bad things he knows what it is he's not going to wander out bleary-eyed what's going on you know also kudos to get well, I mean, lots of kudos to ben, to ben and baru i thought these two actors did well with it particularly uh, to owen baru uh, owen was channeling the owen actor from episode four throughout all of this and i thought he did great with that but wonderful just kudos to their bravery they have basically no knowledge what's coming. They know that a lady in the street would threaten somebody with force powers. From what they've seen previously, there could be an entire damn army, as far as they know, it's about to come in down their door, to which their response is, here are the guns, here's the hidey hole, let's do this the best we can. Yeah, it's to Jamie's point. Like, it makes us, it's backstory, it's character creation for Owen and Baru. It makes us care about them a lot more. Um, Owen is one tough motherfucker. Like, he he's... He's tough, like, and I, I gained a lot of respect for him. Also, the actor, while he does act a lot like the guy in episode four, he also looks like him. He has like sort of the same balding pattern, uh, which I don't know how they how they figured that out. Like, nice, nice hair and makeup there. Cut to Kenobi's transport taken off of the nearest planet. Vader, prepare my ship. I will face him alone. Here is where uh, Jamie Spencer and I have been arguing throughout the entirety of this series. So something like this will happen, and generally, not not all the time, but generally, Spencer will say. That's not realistic. That's a stupid decision. It takes him out. He thinks it's bad writing. I think Vader is just being dumb in the story. I think that Vader could have taken all the TIE fighters, all the resources, 100 stormtroopers, whatever he's got on that Imperial Star Destroyer, gone to that planet and captured Obi-Wan. But his pride and his need to win, which we we got from the flashback uh which his 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 need to to win and to say I have beaten you I need you to say it I need you to be, be say that I beat you, is what controls this decision to go alone and ultimately it's a very stupid decision so that's kind of where Spencer and I have been at, at like odds in this show where it takes him out of it completely and I just think the character did something stupid go ahead Spencer I'm I have no problems with this one at all I had problems the setup to this I had problems in the decisions there but but basically just letting the other craft grow because that feels unnecessary and not in keeping with what Vader would do but him going alone totally he would do that I've already had my sense I've already had my paragraphs on that point in terms of this is a Vader response to this situation yeah well I I agree I guess with both of you so we all get to agree together hey Uh, so I I saw somebody written online (laughs) um from the last episode where he takes her twin lightsaber, snaps it in half, and tosses half back to her so that you know she could crawl out of the dust and come fight him. It is the most Anakin thing he could have possibly done. Yeah, pretty um, sure. Yeah. Right there with uh with with this, you know, with, mm-hmm. with over and over again, he is he is a, a grumpy emo kid with too much murder in his hands. He is super emotional. Um 
I, I do love, there's a weird, I, I actually didn't think about this until we're talking right now, um, juxtaposition and opposite between him and Kylo Ren. Mm. What does Kylo Ren do in this kind of situation? Fire every gun at that man. More, more. Mm-hmm. And, and only after that does he go down himself, as opposed to this one where Vader's like, hold your fire, I'm going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're very, you know, as much as one is a fanboy for the other, they're very different characters. They are very different. That's a great point. And one thing I'd say also here is that I heard some people complaining, you know, this isn't the Vader from the episode four, five, six. He was in control. He was disciplined. He was commanding armies. Yeah, like, it's not. This isn't. This is more Hayden Christensen than this is James Earl Jones. Yeah. He's in a period of transition. If anything, this is his growth moment. We yep. are seeing the moment of transition between the angry emo kid to the commander of armies that everybody's utterly terrified of. Very good point. Cut to Kenobi's ship. Go, go ahead, Jamie. Um, his number two, I think, in this point, with the idea that you know results matter to Vader a little bit more than almost anything else some of the time, and that he's not as strong as people might think, as soon as his craft, which has hyperdrive, leaves, now's a great time for the Star Destroyer to go follow the other ship. Like that's a great time to split in half. <laughs> yeah. Well, does the the Lambda what is it Lambda T four A does that actually have a hyperdrive? It, it does. His shuttle has a hyperdrive on it. So now, now they can split off and have the one who wants to go one on one go do it, and the one who wants to go. I'm not sure that the Lambda T four A has a hyperdrive. That's something for us to it, look up. It does because they used it in, in, in um, episode six. Because that, that was what they were using to transport to get to the forest moon of Endor. Was they did it by entirely independent banks. They had to. They couldn't have a rebel fleet show up and drop it off. Um, this again. But I I'm not promise sure the first that. 15 minutes, the scenes in between, scenes hereafter, I'm great with. But it's not binary. They can do both, and yep. there's no reason they wouldn't. But I, they can't. I, I am with Spencer on that on that point. I up until that moment, I actually think it is fine that they didn't do anything different. But right there, I do agree with you. There's no reason not to split off right there. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that that they do. I mean, I guess I just don't have quite the the ego to say like, oh well, I've figured something out here that the writers I, I didn't do. know. Oh, join yeah. us. Egos. Yeah, that because I, I feel like that's I can't believe they wouldn't have thought of that. So anyway, I, I just feel like there's maybe more more to scratch there. I could be wrong, but maybe. Um, cut to Obi Wan. He sees Lola. Layla, uh, Leia gives him Lola, um, which is like a hey, I know you know. I know basically, she's intuiting that he's scared, um, and she's trying to do the same thing she was doing with the other people on the transport, trying to to help him. And she gives him Lola. He smiles. Uh, or no, I mean, not, but sorry, I'm I'm misspeaking here. He sees Lola. She had given him Lola, and he smiles, puts it on his dashboard, and gets out. Are they selling Lola sharper image yet? Because if they're not, they're wasting. They're just letting money just sit on the rot on the vine. Yeah, they've already, they're already selling Lola for sure. Absolutely. This, this is the new adorable adorable droid companion, and obviously they're intending that. It's just this one is I, actually also cute. Yeah, I I, I mean this one's. Uh, there, there's, I'm not sure there's a droid better than Lola. I'm not going to say Lola's the best, but I think it's tied with anything. It didn't have to say it's welcome. It, its density of awesomeness is higher than any other. Mm, it, pound for pound situation. Pound for pound. <laughs> Small and only on a few episodes. I think it wins. Mm. This is also the cynic in me to a certain degree of where I almost assumed that they made it flying for the sake of the fact that they wouldn't have to be able to sell it as a drone and make it more expensive for the holidays. Just because if it's going to be low, it has to fly now. That's what the that's what it does. Uh, I, I'd say more of if you look at their cute droids over time, um, 
none of them fly and you can only have a rolling one so many ways they made a rolling one made another rolling one they made a, a ball so it rolls sideways uh, there's only so many ways a droid can roll and walk next next time treads full up Gunk. tank droid Gunk. cut to tatooine and reva <laughs> arrives and owen and baru know it i like that they have a little um vector security in their home uh they get the they get the beep beep somebody has come onto the property mm-hmm. um cut to vader's ship landing and he gets out Boy, is he menacing. Um, We hear the breathing and the whole thing. Ominous music is playing, and he sees Kenobi immediately. Um, All right, well, I'll just say this. Kind of strange that they landed on a a planet that Obi-Wan can just breathe on. Like, it's just like Earth or something. It's just sort of weird. He picked the place, so he found one he could breathe on. Yeah, well, it seems like he just picked the first planet that was, like, right next to him. Uh, Seems like dumb dumb luck. We don't see him jump. But I'll say this. Um... Trying to block and do this scene was probably hard enough that they didn't like I give them a pass for not putting an oxygen tank on Obi-Wan at the same time. Like it just seems like an extra sort of superfluous thing that wouldn't add much to the to the actual scene. In, in terms of setting, this is such a better and more interesting world just in terms of its atmosphere, its color, Agreed. its shadows than the world that we had previously. Save money. Just make this the world that they start at, and then you don't have to do the two-planet thing, and you can just have the battle occur there and not have the all the problems and transitions I've talked about. This is a fun world in terms of, like, visuals and setting that our red, rust, Marsy thing never was. But then you yeah, have looked- inside the ship. We needed all those things in the ship. We can get those in the ship before they take off. They, we already got some of those scenes in the ship. Or we can get them in the hangar. They don't have to be on the ship. They're just scenes between characters. It's happening in a room. But then it's yeah. not if it's in our room. Those are different. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, can't dispute that logic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel like um, I feel like the, the planet looks a little bit like Exegol to me. Um, it does and actually. It's just like the darkness and the colors. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to, in, a, in parallel there on on purpose or not. But anyway, um, Vader walks up and says, "Have you come to destroy me, Obi Wan? Obi Wan, I will do what I must." Ah! I will do what I must. Mm-hmm. Ah, as a prequel mm-hmm. fan, I love that line. Um, mm-hmm. So we're about to get the fight. Here's something I want to say about the fight that I think is important to say. Um, a lot of casuals are stunned that Vader wasn't better in this fight than he was. They think it's inconsistent. They think it's just like, you know, like a convenient plot that he would lose here so that the line in episode four, when he meets him on the Death Star and says, my powers have grown since the last time I met you, something like that would make sense. I, I think it's entirely consistent. So here's some background that maybe casuals don't quite know about Vader. So when Vader got burned on Mustafar, the Emperor did save him, but he gave him extremely old tech and he did it on purpose. This is tech that like no one would use in the Empire if you are in the situation that Anakin is in, which is no limbs, lungs that don't work, you know, like needing a catheter at all times, these sort of things. Like look, just compare it with the tech of General Grievous. General Grievous could walk around. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He, he was much, he was stronger for the fact that he ended up being part machine. Vader is very limited. If you look at the the fight scenes, he's using one hand exclusively. He he's, he can't lift his hands up above his head, which is consistent with the comics. And the tech that the Emperor gave him is so old that like literally for it, the arms and the legs to work, there is a Uh, like a bunch of needles like like 50 to 100 needles that stick into his limbs every time he has to get into the uh every time he has to get into the suit which is extremely painful the emperor did this on purpose because he knew there was still some anakin in him and he wanted him angry 
irritated, pissed off all the time. So he gave him old crappy tech to work with. So, and another, another part of this tech that comes out into comic books and also in the Brotherhood book by Mike Chin is that when Anakin slash Vader wants to move in this suit, it, the tech is so bad that it doesn't, it's not immediately responsive. So there's a bit of a delay. And so in these 10 years, Vader has been relearning how to fight because everything that he knew about how to fight was predicated on the limbs that he had and immediate movement. And now everything is delayed. So he has, he has been having to relearn his movements. And so the fact that like Vader is beatable in this moment and shows weakness is very consistent with some of the other canon that I don't think most of the casuals would know about him trying to get up to speed on this suit, which is old tech and crappy and the pain that he lives in just all of the time. Go ahead, Spencer. And I would say we don't even necessarily need to get into the lore to know how this fight's going to play out for a couple reasons. One, and I've complained that this is only six episodes and they need more buildup, but whatever. We've seen that Obi-Wan has found his grace again. He's found his connection to the Force again and how integral that is to his style and his ability or whatever else. So Obi-Wan's improved from the last time they met. Point number two, last time the two of these guys met, Obi-Wan kicked his ass. So we do have that as a data point anyway, that, you know, pre-Darth Vader-y, Anakin lost to Obi-Wan when it came to a fight. Point number three, obviously, visibly, in every interaction we've seen between the two of them, Vader is on tilt when it comes to this guy. When Vader's fighting anybody else, he's at the top of his game because he's able to divorce himself from the moment, which the Empire, yes. which the Emperor confronts him on later, is that you are too much in your head when it comes to this dude. You need to find a way to get away from it. And I think that's showing effectively when it comes to this fight is that he is unable to find a, a certain a calmness to be able to beat this guy, or even channel into his anger. He is just just unstable as he's going into this, and it reflects on an otherwise diminished performance compared to him fighting anybody else. So I, I don't, you don't even necessarily need the lore to explain this. I think they've given us enough in prior movies in this series to explain why ultimately the fight goes as it does. Right, but I, I, do, I think we're going to get a Vader series, so I just I think it's it is important for people to know what this suit does to him and how it's hard for him to fight in it. But it's a great point. They also gave us a great parallel. When he is fighting Reva, he's calm, he's in control, his movements are calculated. When he's fighting Obi-Wan, he literally goes, ah, and like swings like with all of this emotion. So it's a great point, Spencer, that like his actual fighting style is compromised because of the emotion that he has, you know, in the moment. Go ahead, Jamie. I was going to say, um, I, that's really fascinating, the details on the suit, and I will want to ask you more. We can do that offline because it's just about the whole <laughs> about stuff that happens unrelated to this is why. But um, even if you don't know that, when I was watching it, I was just watching them fight, and I saw yeah, not um, a parallel to Game of Thrones when they're fighting near the moon door, and the armored knight with the big sword, who's very famous and good at what he does, is being outclassed by this nimble fighter who's able to move his arms quickly. Fun comparison. It's different in a Very lot of good. ways. But I like it though. Yeah, you don't know about the delay in the arms or something. He's armored, and it's a life support system armor. It boosts him to keep him alive. Maybe it gives him actual armor too, by the fact that he can get hit in the head with a lightsaber and still have his whole head. Yeah, he does but, have some armor for sure. Yeah, right. But he's heavily armored, so he's slower, and so mm. he literally is lumbering. So he's he's hampered by that. And I bought that completely. Even if they have the same strength, slow one of them down. That one now has a disadvantage. It's, it's also just played out well in terms of the progress of the fight of where Obi-Wan survived. He, he's kind of actually on, on generally the losing end for the first half of the fight. He only right. starts to complete overpower Darth Vader when he hits his oxygen system, when he starts to actually damage his ability to breathe. 
It's only right. after that that he just starts kicking Vader's ass because Vader's suffocating in the process of trying to fight this guy afterwards. Well, he does have the scene where he's throwing all the rock at him before he hits the hits the respirator. But you're right. I mean, he, he that he certainly does use that to his advantage, and it shows you know Vader's liability and, and weakness, mm-hmm. right? Like that if you hit that that respirator, and that's just, that's silly, right? It should like with General Grievous, you couldn't just elbow him in the chest and compromise his breathing, right? He had new tech. Like this is just an example of what the emperor does to Darth Vader to try to squash out every little bit of Anakin. It's why he keeps him on Mustafar. It's why he talks to him like fucking dog. It's why, you know, he doesn't give him a ton of power and he pits people like Tarkin and Thrawn against him. He, he recognizes there's still a little bit of Anakin in there and he's trying to squash it out. And this suit is part of that process. And we'll get to, um, you know, the emperor's recognition that there's still some Anakin in there and his conversation with Vader later. Um, but they, they start fighting, um, it's clear that Obi-Wan is much stronger in this fight than we got in, a, what was it, the third or second episode or whatever when they fought before. And mm-hmm. it clearly takes Vader by surprise because Vader has no reason to believe that he would be stronger in this fight. And he clearly is. Cut back to Tatooine. So here's the thing that really did bug me about this. I know they're trying to draw a parallel between the battle with Invader, the light and the dark, and the battle with Reva, the light and the dark. I feel like, though, this is just my opinion. The, mm-hmm. the lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and, and Darth Vader is important enough to not have cutscenes. I want that play it out. all the way. I want that all the way through. This is one of the most important exchanges between two of the most important characters in the entire canon. It's emotionally affecting. It's hit, I wish they didn't do the cutscenes for me because it just takes me out of it a little bit. I, I would almost use that as a point of just a criticism of the show of just how They've had two good plot lines that have never perfectly meshed for me when it came to the Obi-Wan Anakin and Reva trying to find her place in the universe. And I don't think they've ever perfectly welded those together. And I think some of that is in some ways representing and their need to address both of them in the same course of events in this episode. And as you said, it kind of the jumping back and forth. It's two good scenes that should be given their own time. And I don't know how well they work when they're trying to thread them together. So I, 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 I think you might be right in a lot of ways. They wanted there to not be, you know, two climaxes. You know, um, you didn't want to have one, and then you go to the other, and you have a whole nother climax in day tomorrow. Um, then whatever you say that French word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't actually see that much parallel between them because I saw Riva as struggling with who she was, and I saw Anakin as struggling with doing murder faster. Um, I saw them not as parallel as maybe they would have wanted me to feel i took it more of as um padding is the wrong word showing that the fights took a while like uh, the the cuts away kind of just told me that you know darth vader the his fight didn't take two minutes and it was finished even if mm-hmm. we only saw two minutes of it they okay. were running around hiding from each other maneuvering stuff and those cuts kind of gave me this took a while. They're probably tired kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of what it did for me. I don't know if that's good or effective or should have happened, but that was my more takeaway of, of showing time passage in the middle of the fight. It, it saves money on having to film, you know, the entirety of the fight just from start to finish. It, yeah. it is a classic directing strategy of where give them a cut, they'll fill in the blank and then we can come back to it. Well, and would you, I would want this fight because it's not just them one-on-one at high noon, swinging swords until they die. It's them maneuvering and hiding and thinking one's dead and coming back. I wouldn't want that to only take 60 seconds, but I don't know that I really want a 30-minute fight scene. 
of two people like that. <laughs> you 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 don't want the end of episode three. You don't want the fight on Mustafar to go on for 15 minutes over lava again. Yeah, and I don't know that I want to watch him in real time hiding for two minutes here and breathing and stuff. It, it, it let me fill in those blanks with stuff that I wouldn't actually want to spend the time watching. Yeah, so, I agree with that. Uh, Revo lights her lightsaber and starts walking around uh, Owen and Baru's house. Owen takes a shot at her. Pew, 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 pew. As does Baru from a different position. Uh, they're giving Reva all she can handle. I'm not quite sure she was ready for people to just start blaster firing in her face. Like, she seems a little <laughs> caught off guard by that. Um, and they're also throwing things at her. So, I mean, they're they're, they're doing everything they so can. Much. I love that part so much, the just throwing stuff at her. Because right. you're, you're right. This is – she showed up not knowing that they were ready for her, not knowing really what to expect. She knows it's farmers. It's farmers that I almost killed once already. Um she was not expecting that. She showed up with all of her, I'm going to light it and walk up, dramatic, her emo-ness. And then somebody just, like, threw a shoe at her. Like, yeah. it's, it showed, somebody showed up thinking that this was going to be semi-performative and cathartic and easy. And the other ones are fighting for their lives. I, I, I love that you guys reference this, because I adored this fight for the, for the reason that it's messy. For the reason that it's not just over the top or stylized yeah, or professional ambush. It, it, you, ever, you guys ever seen it's a low budget movie the movie dog soldiers nope uh there's it's british soldiers versus werewolves so just you know give you an impression <laughs> going in um but one of the best scenes in that movie is a guy that is just in a kitchen and he is just so uncontrollably pissed off and trying to survive that by the end of the fight he's just throwing silverware at a werewolf uh it it, it, it sounds silly but it's just like he's desperately trying to survive by just throwing everything he can and it sells the scene and I got that here in terms of they're firing blasters, but at the same time, they're kicking potted plants at her because they their only objective here is to survive another minute. And that's what the scene is representing. Well, yeah, we, we did. J- Jamie did a great Game of Thrones parallel earlier. I think we could also do a parallel to the fight between the Hound and Brienne and how just it's just sometimes it's just people on the dirt clawing at each other's eyes and it just doesn't look yeah. pretty but it's just a it's just a mechanism for just trying to survive one more minute like you said spencer um cut back to the planet uh unnamed planet at this point i don't know if they've given it a name but it's where obi-wan and vader are fighting they're going at it obi-wan is pushing him backwards they lock lightsabers many times obi-wan uses the force to throw a rock at him so here's something i want to point out while it's apparent to me eh, three quarters of the way through the fight that Obi-Wan is probably at this point a better swordsman fighter, uh, at least in this moment. He's going to to fight better than Vader. I love this little moment that they throw in where Obi-Wan like really uses a lot of energy to move mm-hmm. this large rock structure to throw it at Vader. And Vader very casually stops it and continues talking. It tells me that Vader is stronger in the Force than, than Obi-Wan is in this moment. It's just no arms, no legs shitty suit not not as good a fighter but i mean obi-wan is twisting and really working to, to move this rock structure and vader just whoop, very casually grabs it and throws it aside well, he, he did also have to break the rock first instead of like but no I, I agree like he's it's very much that my best is enough to keep you at bay for a little while it's, it, maybe that's the parallel of i'm trying my best and you're toying with me a little bit for the moment and it's consistent anakin was always stronger in the force than obi-wan was i mean just spencer's favorite spencer's favorite the midichlorian count um of anakin was much higher than obi-wan um 20,000 i will say this though that one thing that george lucas said um about darth vader that i find very interesting if anybody 
has not heard it before, is that when Darth Vader is in episode, as with start of episode four, Darth Vader, because he has lost his limbs, he's in this suit, he's compromised in, in, in many different ways, is George Lucas ballparked about 80% as strong as the Emperor is. However, if Anakin had not been injured on Mustafar and had full capabilities of, you know, this human form, et cetera, and he was just normal. Lucas posited that he would have been about twice as strong as the emperor. So terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it is. But so it shows just how handicapped he is through this, through the, the, the fight on Mustafar. And it also gives you just a reference point for how strong Vader is, you know, in comparison to the emperor. Um, so Vader throws a few rocks at him and uh, they, oh, uh, after this like pause thing that Vader does with the rocks, he says, your strength has returned, but the weakness still remains. Mm-hmm. Vader throws a few rocks at him. They lock lightsabers again and Vader throws some rocks at his feet. Pretty cool sequence. But you just take the feet out with a with like a rock right at the ankles and he just whoop, mm-hmm. everyone just falls right down. And he says, and that is why you will always lose. Vader breaks the ground underneath him. Obi-Wan falls down and Vader starts throwing rocks down on top of him on the hole. And it looks like Vader won at this point. Like, I I think they wanted you to think that Vader had just pummeled Obi-Wan with rocks and he's just laying at the bottom of this crevice with rocks all over him. Vader intended for him to die here. He thought that he was dead here, that he had either crushed him or suffocated him under a massive pile of rubble. But... Obi-Wan's got that power in the force again that he's able to keep it basically enough of a protective bubble around him that he's not crushed or suffocated. And he says, did you really think you could defeat me? You have failed, Master. So this goes back to Anakin's need to win and to dance. He can't just win. He's 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 Ali. He's got to beat you and then he's got to dance over your over your body. That's how he is. He is fulfilled. I, I love how much Obi-Wan is still in his head, even at this moment, though, that he still calls him master. It's just like, dude, I'm yep. still living in that head rent free, though. It oh, could 100%. be an element of subversion uh, to a certain degree, too, that I've overcome you as the master. Yeah, I actually took it as um as an insult of like, yeah, who, who's who's the master now, bitch? Like, mm. kind of, but um, it, but it does show that he's still thinking of him. Not like I think the emperor, if the emperor had his druthers. Vader would be able to just consider Obi-Wan like anyone else. He wouldn't have these comments that harkens back to their shared past. He would just be Darth Vader with no shared history with Obi-Wan, just killing a person that's in front of him. But instead, he continues to hang on to this shared history, showing that somewhere in there is still a little bit of Anakin. Does that point out the inherent reason why the dark side of the Force is um, doesn't win? Because it gets its strength from this anger and pride and history, but the anger mm-hmm. and pride in history also undermine its ability to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Luke says, Luke actually says that that the if you have someone from the Sith and someone from uh, a Jedi of equal power fighting, the Jedi will always win. Because the Sith has to draw from this emotion. They're not balanced, and that leaves themselves open um, to, to, to attacks. And we see it over and over again when people in the Sith fight that that is that's their weakness that they they're too emotional in the fight that opens himself up yeah it, but it's one of, if they don't do emotion then they don't get to draw on their full strength so it's just this yeah. catch 22 yeah. it, it, it's one of the things they're, they're they're wielding a nuke they've got high potentials on power but it just can immediately get out of their control and they can they can lose as a result of that i'm like some of the we see are remarkably powerful individuals possibly because they're darn from the dark side 
but it has problems in execution and it has problems in self-destruction in terms of how it plays out. So I, I, I want I want to get a thumbs up, a thumbs down from each of you. Would you have liked it better or worse if he had made a reference in that moment when, you know, Obi-Wan was down in the hole that he had the high ground? Because I couldn't decide whether I wanted it and was sad it didn't happen or whether I was proud of them for, like, giving us an opportunity and skipping it. How would you have felt? Better or worse? I I would have laughed and rolled my eyes in equal measure if they had played. I, I was looking at it going, he's thinking it in his head. He is yeah. looking down in that hole and he is thinking it in his goddamn head. But it's probably the better that I was just thinking that rather than they played it out. I don't think they wanted you to laugh. I don't think they yeah. wanted you to be taken out because they are they are about to hit an apex of emotion here in a scene that I don't think they wanted you to. Like, I think that it was on the table. They easily could have said it. But I think that they they. My guess would be that they thought that would not be an appropriate setup for where they I were agree. going with the emotion I, of the scene. I actually loved it because in, in the characters, as much as we were thinking about it, those two have played that last scene when they both oh, thought yeah. that the other one. 100%. Each of them were thinking it. Each of them were thinking it right then. And we knew they were thinking it. And that was enough for me. It, it, it was to the point of where I was so thinking that Vader was thinking it. I kind of just expected him to pause for a moment and just T-pose at the side of the, of the, the, side of it. <laughs> just like... Look at me now, bitch. You were supposed to be the chosen one. You were supposed to bring violence to the force. Um, uh, cut back to Owen and Reva. Reva is coming at him. And she says to Owen, you really love the boy like he's your own. This is while they're fighting. Owen, he is my own. Owen's fighting well, but Reva, in my opinion, it looks like Reva's holding back a little. It yeah, seems she, to me she not does gonna... not want to kill him. Yeah, she she could have. There are plenty of times. Like she walked past him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she didn't think she needed to kill him clearly she but uh, she also we, we also learned she just didn't want to yeah seems like it, it in the moment we, we can fr- they give us the explanation potentially that she's just seriously injured because the point at one point um um owen punches her like in the gut and she almost <laughs> keels over from how much oh yeah this is oh, an yeah, open saving it. wound but given what we see both before and later in unpacking it this is a person that is not the mur- murder everybody in my way kind of Reva that we saw back in episode one. Completely agree. Um, Sorry, she wasn't in episode one. That happened on Tatooine, but that was a long time ago. There were pod racings in episode one. That was that was a different time period entirely. I'm going to rephrase that because you're technically right. We didn't see in part one, you asshole. Part and, one. As Alora would say, technically correct. The best kind of correct. Context is everything. Oh, and he is my own. He's, um, then he asks um, Reva what she wants, and she says justice. What that tells me is that Reva doesn't care, doesn't want these people dead. She simply wants to get to Anakin. They keep fighting, but she eventually tosses Owen aside. And Luke takes off. Reva goes after her. Cut back to the planet. We see the whole Obi-Wan is in, and like Spencer referenced, he has a little protective force bubble around him, so the rocks did not hit him. Shout out, Obi-Wan. Then we see him underneath it all. Um, and we hear flashbacks of Anakin, then Vader. You cannot run Obi-Wan. That's Vader's voice. Then Anakin's voice. I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side. Then Vader, I am what you made me. So he clearly is replaying in his head Anakin's turn to the dark side. And then hearing that line, I am what you made me, which I think was from episode maybe two or three when they had the, the first interaction. I think... What's interesting to me is that when they first meet, Vader, and I, I do think this is some Anakin in him, right? Because these, they're, he's drawing on their shared past, says, I am what you made me. He wants to make Obi-Wan feel bad. He's hitting him in the feels. 
it stands in dark contrast to what happens in a, in a minute. It's very different in what happens in a minute. Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, and then he actually hit him, and then he lit him on fire so he could feel even more. Just double feels. Cut to Obi-Wan, and he uh, envisions Leia and Luke. And so what we're seeing here is that, you know, like we've talked about how Obi-Wan draws power in the Force. It's not through anger. It's not through aggression. It's through connection, balance, love, concern. Mm -hmm. And that love and concern, his purpose in life now to take care of Luke, take care of Leia, is what gets him in balance with the Force. He draws strength, and he's able to throw the rocks right off of him. I love this. Uh, the same way that I think, and we can talk about this more different ways, some parts of The Last Jedi um, brought up and raised up things I didn't like in the prequels as like a reason for them and justified them. This took my least favorite line from the sequel trilogy and made it hammer home. The idea of we don't win by destroying what we hate, we win by protecting what we love, which I hated. That was like, that was that was like the low part of the entire I, I've talked about how I like the sequels. I do. That line frustrated the hell out of me and kind of still does. But this scene does that so much better what? because not only he's a light side Jedi, so this is where he gets his strength from is, you know, the old Jedi wouldn't have called it love, but it's love and mm -hmm. sacrifice and caring and value as opposed to what he's been pulling from, which is grief and obligation and memories and pain which is you know he doesn't know how to use the dark side but he yeah that that very well put jamie i that that contrast between his motivation of grief and obligation against genuine love concern and balance that is a great great contrast there answer and, and I, I would say I, I also hate that line of the sequels but i think its biggest problem was its context and what it was coming around of where it's not a bad philosophy it's honestly a pretty good philosophy to have uh but the moment i would say it's pretty good was, yes <laughs> moment it was moment it was occurring in was just stupid. It was just a stupid execution <laughs> moment leading to it. Sometimes you protect what you love by sacrificing something to stop a mini Death Star. Sometimes yes. it's not binary. I keep saying that. It's like, you know, you could this philosophy can be applied in different ways. I agree though. That's a wonderful callback of how perfectly it fits in for this moment for this character. It's a better portrayal of what they wanted to go through than they did in, in, in um, episode eight. No, you know, Sith, Sith never, never speaks in absolutes. Uh, neither does a lawyer, apparently. Like Spencer even hedged the idea that protecting what you love, it, it, it could be. It might be a good philosophy. Like he even hedged on the island. <laughs> Take that. It's okay. Like, I, think we can, I think we can go 100% in protecting what Allegedly, you love. Allegedly, the light side motivation. of the force is more good than the dark side. Allegedly. So, One could say. Six out of ten. You know, it's got potential. <laughs> Vader, he's walking back to his ship and he stops and Obi-Wan attacks. This is the point I want to talk about earlier. They gave us the line to explain why Obi-Wan would attack here. That is not in keeping with the Sinusu fighting style with what Obi-Wan, how Obi-Wan typically operates. But he feels like his mission here is a 1v1 cage match type situation. We can make Thunderdome. We can complain later later about how the scene ends, but I think that's why they show this attack here. They spar, but this time Obi-Wan is clearly getting the better of Vader. Vader uses the Force to stop him a couple times, which I thought was really cool. He paused the lightsaber, um, but it seemed to me like Vader was using all the Force that he could to do that move. It was very different than the body language I got when he was fighting with Reva, where the vast majority of the time he was using the Force to stop her. Um, Obi-Wan then lifts all the rocks around him, 
Oh my God, what a fucking scene. Just make it, make it a GIF, put it on your phone. We're going to see that many, many times over the years. And he hurls them all at Vader who just ain't ready. He ain't ready. Fellas can't take it. Gets beat up, pummeled by the rocks. I think he should have just kept doing the rock thing. The rock thing worked really well. There's a lot of rocks around. I mean, there's a lot of rocks. Until there's not a Darth Vader anymore. I'm I'm sure Yoda talked to him about you know the Emperor throwing you know little uh, senator pods at him when they're in their, in their battle in the senatorial room. You can only do it for so long, otherwise it just starts getting rude and repetitive. Got to mix Cut things to Re- up. And Yoda was able to stop some of them with the Force. Yeah. Cut to Reva running to find Luke. I believe they're in Beggar's Canyon, and she stops. Luke is running away from her. We see Luke kind of in the background as she's walking around. Cut to Obi Wan and he and Vader um, actually lock hands during this scene. They touch hands, which I thought was wild as fuck. And he uses the hilt of his saber to knock out the respirator mechanism in Vader's suit, effectively ending the fight. Once that happens, it would be it would in boxing parlance, it would be a TKO. They'd stop the fight. But obviously, there's no ref here. He's got blood Um, in his eyes. Yeah, it's bad. Um, He throws Vader with the force when this when he throws Vader with the force. That's when we know that Anakin slash Darth Vader has been disconnected and discombobulated because to to be pushed like that shows that that what spencer's talked about on our podcast before that like protective bubble of using the force is completely gone he's completely exposed here um and uh then obi-wan cuts him along the back vader sort of spins around and then obi-wan slashes him across the face which is like uh something that jamie referenced earlier the the armor does save him here it doesn't actually get to his skin but it exposes, I believe, the left side of his face. Yep. No, um, notably, that, that was Obi-Wan going for the kill. He didn't know the armor would stop the sword, right? Oh, yeah. He was going for the kill, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, and, 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 but, he was going for the kill right there. But when he sees his face, that's when it affects him emotionally. And he says, Anakin. Uh, uh, Lee, quick question. This is This series is happening before Star Wars Rebels, right? Yeah, the, you're talking about the parallel to the Ahsoka scene here. Just, just, just checking in terms of moments in time because yes, that, it that happens five clear, years before Rebels. Yes, <laughs> clear parallels between the two scenes, just even in terms of the injury they're depicting or the open in the armor. Yeah, so the 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 scene that Spencer's talking about, and they they were clearly trying to parallel it here, is Ahsoka actually battles Anakin, uh, Darth Vader, and this is five years before the events of Episode Four, and Ahsoka does slash his face, and when she slashes his face. She has a moment with him where they actually like for a second or two, Anakin slips out and he talks to Ahsoka as Anakin. And the same thing happens in this scene. And you can get like, you know, like middle school English paper with this here because, you know, Obi-Wan slash the left side, Ahsoka slash the right side. The idea being that if they were together to approach Vader, potentially they could see the entire face and actually see Anakin, actually see Anakin and pull him back. And it wasn't until Luke was able to see his entire face in episode six that we were able to pull Anakin out of Darth Vader and him be Anakin again. Well said, sir. Well said. That that was what I was hoping to bring out. You've said it perfectly. uh, And so here we have really great dialogue here. Um, I lost my shit at the voice. Well, yeah. you're hearing the mix mechanism and, and you're hearing you also hear a Hayden Christensen. You can I can definitely hear Hayden Christensen, but I'm also hearing James Earl Jones at the same time. Whoever mixed that shout the fuck out. Let's give them a Christmas bonus because that was awesome. Well, Absolutely. And it, and it wasn't just in the middle. It was 
fluctuating between them in a way that was not like heavy handed on if he says something emotional, it's always going to be in this voice. It, it just it seemed natural, but it emphasized things so well. Yeah. So yeah. it was semi random, but intentional. And I loved that. It, it, it was I, I can't exactly call it subtle. It isn't. But it, like you said, it's so beautifully threaded in of where it's a mix between properly emphasizing, but not overdoing it, not not making it just obviously theater. It, it was a beautifully executed bit of work in terms of threading those in together. So Obi-Wan sees the face and says, Anakin. And this voice says, Anakin is gone. I am what remains. Ewan McGregor does a phenomenal job with this line. He says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. And then we get a blue light come over the side, the left side of Anakin's face. And we hear him talk in first person as Anakin. And he says, I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. And that line, I, make fun of me if you want, absolutely made me tear up and, and start to cry because it is the little teeny bit that's left of Anakin pushing to the surface to try to reassure Obi-Wan and alleviate some of Obi-Wan's pain. It's like one of the, it's the last thing his friend has done for him. His friend being Anakin is to try to alleviate some of the guilt and explain, Hey, this is not your fault. But as soon as it comes out, it is suppressed again by the dark in Anakin and he stops talking in first person as Anakin and instead says, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. So he changes tenses as he's talking and he says the same way I will destroy you. And then Obi-Wan says that my friend is truly dead cut to Vader and his labored breathing. And Obi-Wan says, goodbye, Darth. And Obi-Wan walks away. Vader is left there and he shouts and screams, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan in anger as he realizes he's lost the fight. Now, the I am not your failure, Obi-Wan, top three, four emotional moment in all of Star Wars for me. That that, that little bit of Anakin was still left. And this goes with what Spencer was talking about. This is not the same Darth Vader we got at the start of episode four. He is still struggling. There's still parts of Anakin in him. And it bubbled to the top, spoke in first person, and reached out to his old master to try to reassure him. I fucking loved it. So I I also loved it. I hesitate to say this because I don't, I don't want to be right and undercut something you're saying because i like what you're saying and i do like it i didn't hear it as anakin saying in first person i thought it was darth vader in first person darth vader is not his failure it's like this situation was not yours i took it i didn't i i love what you're saying and i want that to be true so i want you to convince me um i really took it more of as darth slash anakin's pride of you know even though he previously said he contradicts himself a lot in this which is on purpose i'm sure He's saying, like, you didn't do this. I did this. I'm a self-made man. This is my choice. I want to be all dark side and stuff um, that, you know, this I'm not your failure. I did this to myself. I took it as Darth Vader saying. All so so the, I think the, the, the hint that we have that he was actually speaking is Anakin and it's ham handed. It, it's obvious. But it, I think they were trying to give us the, the indication is the change in color. The blue across his face when he says the line, I am not your failure, Obi-Wan, to the immediate red when he goes back and says, I did, I, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did. I thought that's why they were trying to show the shift in personality. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's a change in color, whatever else. I actually really like that motif because they've been playing with it the entire fight. The fight is so done in shadow that the two of them are almost more effectively colored by their lightsabers than by anything else on this yeah. world that's constantly in shroud. And so I thought that was a well set up motif of where they were framing them always as being opposites and always being opposed due to those colors. 
only to then slip into that color for that one little brief moment. And I thought Hayden Christensen acted it well, too, in terms of tone of his voice, of where there's a half second of regret. There's a half second of almost empathy. There's a connection. He's seeing him in the eye for the first and only time that they're ever going to have that. And there is a moment. There is a hope. There is that possibility of redemption that will play out 15 years now into the future. But it's quashed. It's quashed under pride. It's quashed under anger. It's quashed under hate. But we can see it just as he can look through that mask. We can see through to Anakin for a half of a second. So I'm there. I'm with there for you. Between the tone, between the lighting, between the looking him in the eye, I think we got to see the mask, the, the, the hate, and everything else that's wrapped in him fade for a half second before it's so quickly buried under a thousand tons of earth. And they're trying to show you, they're trying to show you there's still a little Anakin left in there. And and we get a, a like a like a geometric proof at, like that that was true at the end, because the most intuitive person in the entire Star Wars history, Emperor Palpatine, the person who can read people better than anybody, immediately notices that there's still Anakin in him. And that is why he lost the fight. So I think they also give us some confirmation of that in the conversation with the emperor later. Uh, You've convinced me and I'm happier for it. Thank you. (laughs) Yay. One thing, one thing I'm going to say here too, of where um, Obi-Wan's use of Darth here, there have been so many people over the years that have complained that he, when he went in episode four, when the two of them are fighting the Death Star, why did he call him Darth? Why didn't he call him Anakin? I never had those complaints at all. I mean, it was never an issue to me, but this feels like they're trying to offer a, a belated explanation for why he's used the term Darth. Because from his perspective, Anakin's dead. He's lost that thread. He's lost that emotional baggage. He just sees this guy as a Lord of the Sith. And so the fact he uses Darth leaving there and then the next introduction he has with him as Darth is reflecting his perspective that the Anakin he cared about is dead and gone, killed by this entity that now stands before me. I would like to call bullshit on Obi-Wan um, because I think he is massively conflicted here. <laughs> sure, he, yes. He, you're right. He calls him Darth because he's establishing in the conversation that my friend is truly dead. Anakin's gone. You are this thing. You are Darth. He almost says Darth with like pith or anger in his voice. Darth. Yeah. But he obviously does not believe that. He obviously doesn't believe that Anakin's completely gone because if he did, he'd have fucking killed Vader. So he, he, part of him, even though he's saying this, he knows he's not going to get anywhere in the conversation with Darth Vader. I think that mo- I think the thing that saves Vader is that moment of Anakin that comes out in him where he says, I am not your failure. Without that line, to me, it would not be consistent that he didn't kill him. Like he yeah. would need to he need to have followed through with it. So I, I agree with you completely. And that's why I wanted just to make the note of that. We all agree he was going for the kill when he tried when he hit someone in the head with yes. a blade of instantly dissolving death. Um, <laughs> it was OK. Instantly dissolving Anakin's skull. Then 30 seconds later, when he says, you know, I wasn't sure if you were Anakin or Darth, but you're really Darth. So now I'm not going to cut you in the skull anymore. I was only okay murdering you when you might still be my friend. Uh, That doesn't make any sense at all. And that's the one part that bothered me. Why did you not kill him then? And I can understand some like meta reasons beyond the fact that he can't because we know what happens. I can understand meta reasons why starting the story from scratch, you would want that to be. The message, almost Lord of the Rings-esque, of showing mercy, even though it might lead to untold deaths down the road, still lead to a better outcome than not showing mercy or something. I can see that. But in that moment, why did he not kill him? Well, you can draw the parallel with with what Obi-Wan is doing here with Vader. So let's say you don't want to take my explanation. 
which my explanation was that he still thought there was yeah. some Anakin in him. Let's let's remove that. And let's draw the parallel to he's got Vader there, effectively on his knees, dying. He could kill him. Draw the contrast to when Anakin had Dooku in the same situation. What he should have done as a Jedi is to show mercy. What did he do? The very the coolest beheading in the history of Star Wars cuts that fucker's head right off. Why? Because he's got that darkness in him. So it's that parallel to uh, Anakin and, and Obi-Wan and how the Jedi treat a fallen foe, I guess. I'm of two minds about this. They tried to give me, I'm referencing throughout the show, whether they gave me the sentence. They tried to here. They tried to give me the <laughs> sentence and the idea that he's seeing, he's seeing a bit of Anakin and that, that is the reason he's showing a bit of mercy here. We can agree, I think we can agree, that it's a stupid enough character decision in the moment, regardless of whether we think it's it's reasonably explainable or not. A lot of people die as a result of him making this decision right Yes, now. yes. Whether we think it's an effective character moment or not, I think we can reasonably debate that. They give us a sentence, and whether we buy it or not, sure. I don't. I don't I, I don't I, I don't think they framed it right for me to. And I also would have the logical problem. I think this is something people misunderstand about the Jedi's mercy is that Jedi wouldn't let the Sith go. He would take him with him or incapacitate him or do something to prevent him from hurting others. He yeah. wouldn't just leave the rabid dog there to hurt other people because they're not morons. It's that he, it's not binary. Again, it's like you can show mercy without leaving the guy with a loaded gun to hurt other people. You can he also might have thought he was going to die. Have we considered that? Because he did hit his respirator. Then wait. Well, sit, I mean, sit uh, with him and talk. Well, that I mean, Jamie, do you want to watch Obi-Wan watching labored breathing from Vader for 10 minutes of this show? Cut off. You already established you could do cuts to show progress of time. And, and I will say, I, I've never actually watched it, but... Um... And uh, enemy mind is a thing for a reason of like an injured guy on an alien world with his enemy. Hey, it's a great movie. Something that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. I, you know, if people have complaint that he didn't kill him here, reasonable complaint. I, I, I think I have headcanon that explains to me why he didn't do it. It makes perfect sense to me. I can enjoy it. But if people have a, an issue with that, I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to, to argue about and be frustrated with. I think I think it's an overarching problem the show could never get away from of where the direct implication of the lines and the background the interactions of characters in episode four is that Obi-Wan and Vader have not met each other or have not seen each other in 30 or 40 years. The show's already throwing that out. And so they're trying to make an interaction, a plot line, a conflict between the two of them worked that episode four. I think if you asked Lucas in terms of what he was thinking when he was writing the dialogue was working under the assumption didn't happen. And so there's always going to be some wonkiness, I think, with the canon. I don't really care. I love the extended expanded. You do. Universe. You do care, though, because you bring it up all the time. Well, you no, do. No. I, I acknowledge it. But again, I love the expanded universe. And the expanded universe was constantly changing continuity. I'm actually not that big of a problem with respect to continuity. I think it just needs to be acknowledged when it happens, just so you can better understand it and square it for yourself going forward. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I 100 percent buy that you don't care because you've brought up the fact that like this wasn't planned with episode <laughs> I don't four, care like much. four or five times. But it, I mean, point being, it's a good point that I'm sure if George Lucas watched this, he probably didn't. If he did, he probably would say I didn't plan this. And, you know, he, hell, if you give him a microphone, he'll probably tell you what trash it is. He does that with Disney stuff all the time. Cut to Reva. She force throws Luke and he slides down the rock and is knocked out. Obi-Wan then goes into hyperspeed. Uh, Spencer, do you want to talk about the two timelines here? 
this is something I actually wanted to debate with you guys, because they give us enough that we can either say that they're intended literally to be happening at the same time. And I think that's honestly kind of true, because at this moment before Obi-Wan jumps, he gets a force connection with Luke that Luke's in danger, which unless that was a late call, there's an implication here that the events are happening at least mostly coterminously. Best what as we can word was that coterminously. They're overlapping. Yeah, they're... Holy smokes! Whew. Word Sorry, of the Jamie, day, folks. Jamie, I cut you off. What'd you say? I I was just saying what coterminous means. They end at the same time. Yeah, the, the, these are the, these are overlapping and parallel events. Um, and I think this scene is giving us the most evidence that they are beyond just simply the fact that they've been cutting in between them. And, Obi, the fact that Obi-Wan is there is, is then able to jump to Tatooine from wherever this planet is and arrive there with enough time to see Reva bring Luke back suggests a transition of halfway across the galaxy in minutes, which is little finger levels of jetpacking around Westeros. I don't really care that much. It's setting up two great scenes, but this show in particular has just treated distances as being a kind of a hand wave to get what they really care about. And I think it's just another example of that. So I, I, I disagree, and I think it works out just fine. And I think that two of your timing problems actually fix each other like a double negative. Sure, go on. So here's the timeline that I think. Uh, Reva gets hurt, and the and Obi-Wan escapes. Okay? Mm-hmm. The next day... Or immediately thereafter, Obi-Wan lands on this planet and has this lightsaber chase while Reeve is on her way to Tatooine. The lightsaber lightsaber fight happens first because he has to finish the lightsaber fight and then get to Tatooine in time for the Tatooine fight to end. So you're saying that you think that there was too much time before the lightsaber fight and not enough time after? That just means the lightsaber fight happened faster. Like, push it forward in time. And if you're saying that he knew Luke was in danger, that would carry a lot of weight. Except there's this thing called the Force, and sometimes it lets you see the future. That is possible. I mean, the the, the truly ambiguous point, and this is where they can get as much mileage as they want, is the moment he he leaves Vader behind and gets in his ship, we have a screen cut, and we don't know how long he's in the ship. He could have been in the ship for a while. You could have, that that could have been a transition of days. We're not clear. Um, so I agree, and this is part of the reason this does not actually annoy me that much. Of where there's enough to go both ways. The fact that they filmed it to be directly overlapping clearly wants us to think the events are overlapping, but they've got enough that they can get out of it however they want. Okay, well uh, I uh, don't really care. Um, <laughs> this is one that does. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, so I'm glad you guys fought it out because for me, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm glad we got the scene. Uh, so we get Obi-Wan who shows up. Um, no, hold on. <laughs> this is one that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, so I'm glad you guys fought it out because for me, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm glad we got the scene. Uh so we get Obi-Wan who shows up. Um, no, hold on. Reva. We have the Reva and Luke scene, which is really cool. Yeah, that, Reva that then looks fun. at Luke. Yeah. Yeah. He looks at Luke. She looks at Luke. He's knocked out. She fires up the lightsaber. And this is exactly what Anakin did. And I actually had the thought as we were doing this, like, oh, crap, this is exactly what Anakin did to the younglings during Order 66 at the Jedi Temple. And she sees herself in Luke. Um, 
as the young young girl uh, who's knocked out here, uh, and she sees Anakin's face, and she sees herself as Anakin. Um, she picks this all up, and we see Obi Wan jump out of hyperspeed. He lands, um, uh, and and then during the in the scene with Riva and Luke, Riva picks the lightsaber up, and boom, we have a cutaway. Obi Wan lands out of hyperspeed. He hears Owen and Baru screaming for Luke. Obi Wan runs to them. Where is he? Obi Wan says he'll look in the Dune Sea, and we'll search till we find him. So Obi Wan's gonna search the whole damn Dune Sea. Look out! On the uh, desert. But then we see Reva walking with Luke, and this is this is a great uh, moment. Um, Jamie, I just want to point out that uh, Spencer is in the process of reading Harry Potter, and he's in the fifth book. He has not read ahead, um, so we don't talk about anything that happened in the Harry Potter series. Um, so Reva's walking up with the child, and it looks like the child might be dead. Um, and that's what I think Owen and Baru are trying to figure out, as is Obi-Wan. You would think Obi-Wan would be able to tell in the Force, through the Force, that Luke is alive or not alive. But it looks like a little bit of a tenuous moment. Reva sets Luke down, and then we get the, <gasps> oh, he's alive scene. Owen and Baru come up to uh, Luke and take him away. And then we have a really great scene, I think, between Obi-Wan and Reva. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I'm thinking she's saying I couldn't kill Luke. I'm not strong enough to kill Luke. And then she says, I couldn't save them. I failed them. He killed them all and I couldn't do it. So she's actually talking that she's reliving that trauma of Order 66. She's saying she couldn't save her friends when Anakin came in and started slaughtering all the younglings. Both. I mean, she couldn't save them then. She couldn't avenge them the right way against Darth Vader. And she couldn't even get, you know, eye for an eye revenge she couldn't do any of it in her eyes you know she, there, there was the good outcome which would have been saving them the, the okay outcome and this was the best she got and she couldn't even do that one because she was too weak it was too young and weak then just too you know darth vader's really strong and weak and now too in her mind emotionally weak mm-hmm. mm, that's a good point he could, be, he could be she could be talking about a lot of different things um so we see a small um then obi-wan says You haven't failed them. By showing mercy, you give them peace. You have honored them. She says, what have I become? Or no, she says, have I become him? Great line here from Obi-Wan. No, you've chosen not to. Who you become now, that is up to you. Reva sits there crying. She pulls out her Inquisitor saber, sobs and places it down for good, it seems, giving up the Inquisitor saber, giving up that life. Obi-Wan then extends a hand, helps her up, says, now you're free. We both are. I thought it was a beautifully executed scene. It creates ultimately one of the most effective individual story character arcs that we've seen in Star Wars in a long time of where I was really annoyed at the Reva character early on. I was ultimately supposed to. There were other problems in the presentation, whatever else. But coming through to this point, it's believable. It's a hell of an arc that we've got in terms of background, in terms of execution, in terms of character growth, whatever else. It ultimately should have been done in its own story. Like this should have been season two of Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan should have focused on just Obi-Wan and Darth Vader's interaction maybe in season one. But it's still a well-executed story. I thought they did well. The uh, uh, most nitpicky of complaints possible, I would say, about this at the end is I wish they had hearkened back to part one of the series of what Obi-Wan was talking with that Jedi about burying your lightsaber in the sand. I wish we'd gotten a moment of like the two of them burying her lightsaber together as a part of letting the past go and how important that is for her in comparison to how problematic it was for Obi-Wan. 
they imply it here with her dropping on the sand, but I thought that would have been a good uh, harkening back to that earlier advice and how much it can be improved, how much it can be improved upon with Obi-Wan giving that to another person and helping her through it in a way he didn't for that other Jedi that ended strung, uh, strung up. I mean, I think it's an example of like what, how the Star Wars community shoots itself in the foot. Um, because we got episode one, uh, the first no, episode one, uh, part one, knock, knock that out earlier, J- uh, Jamie, uh, part one. And Riva is annoying. She's over the top. It seems fake. It seems put on. Well, guess what? That was the plan. They told the actress, you are not evil. You are acting evil. So you need to act over the top. I, I compared it to a wrestling character earlier. I think that's a very good explanation because she's putting on as heel when she's really not. She's really a face. So it's really like a lesson in like, chill the fuck out. Let them tell the story and see if it gets explained. Run with it. Have the most, the slightest modicum of faith in what you're watching that maybe the thing on screen is supposed to be there and you haven't outsmarted everyone involved in the production of the series with your take. Like, I think it's a lesson for star Wars fans everywhere. So that's my take on it. I think that the presentation of Reva in the first part is exactly what it should have been. She's playing a character. It looks over the top and it's annoying. It's supposed to be. And also shout out to the actress did a great job. She did. I was going to say, um, you know, I, I wasn't so smart that I knew what was coming ahead of time, but I knew something was. And I figure probably a lot of people did from episode from, you know, part one. You know, what does she want? She wants what she's owed. Like there were hints and moments which very clearly show. Very good point. She has something else going on. She does. She want to usurp Vader. Does she? I actually had the thought. Does she want to kill Vader for some reason or revenge against the Empire? Does she want to join Obi-Wan? That's actually the thought. I thought she was doing all of this to try to find Obi-Wan to join him. Shows I was wrong. But I, there was something there in how she did it and the language they gave her from episode one. Um, I'm kind of, from part one, uh, as I make the joke myself. I am interested, and you can tell me, do you think Vader knew all along exactly who she was the whole time from day one and just still let her do it because she was a useful tool? Or do you think he only figured it out like, during one of these shows so we can have that debate in a second but i do want to before we do that i I just want to say i agree with the take from jimmy that there were some breadcrumbs and i really agree with how spencer put it which is this is the best individual arc of a character outside of the main movies that i think we've gotten yeah and i'll include mandalorian in that because you don't get a lot of individual arcs in that that's a lot that's like a like a like a spaghetti western like it's a new 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 like frog lady every episode we got to deal with but this this is a wonderfully put, Spencer. It's a good, one of the best individual arcs we get. But I also agree that it would have been more affecting if it happened over a longer period of time. I mean, she turned heel to face in six episodes. That's a lot for even me. Like, I would have liked it if, if she'd have turned in, in uh, season two. I agree with that. And she was having to do that in the middle of two other people's stories of where yes. they're doing Obi-Wan and Vader. They're doing Leia's kidnapping. It's too much. You've got six episodes to do this in. You should have had ten to even just do Obi-Wan Vader. You've got good stories here. You've got good actors and materials. Don't be afraid to give it room to breathe. Completely agree. Now, on to to, say, Jamie, do you want to uh, answer your question about the Vader thing? Did he know? Yeah. Yeah, so I I took it as he, the the hint that they gave us that he knew all along is when he called her youngling. If he would have said, like, Oh, Obi-Wan used you against me. And he like if if the the dialogue had implied that he 
notice that she has just flipped. That's one thing. But when he called her youngling, that tells me that he knew of their shared past. And that was a hint to us that he knew all along. That's my guess anyway. Uh, and I, that's plausible. That probably would be my guess. But, um, you know, they can read minds. So he could have still just only learned that in this meeting. He could have figured it out right now and just been bluffing that he knew all along. Although, I mean, the one guy not having died in the first place, he probably figured out about then when the guy said, hey, Reba just tried to kill me. And, she's like, and he's like, oh, you know, I'll make her Inquisitor anyway because reasons. Yeah, I'm... Given how the Sith love to operate in terms of just long-term plannings to just leave you screwed and disappointed at everything that's occurred, it seems in keeping that he knew even before she did. Like, she woke up in the morning and he was already working out plans to screw her over even before she even signed up. But before she was brought in for, you know, Inquisitor training. I think that's more in keeping with the, the Sith kind of mindset and planning and also just the Vader that we ultimately see in this series. Yep, uh, I completely agree. Uh, now we cut to my second favorite scene of the entire episode. Vader's on Mustafar. And guess what, folks? It's <laughs> not the Emperor's music. <laughs> the yeah. Emperor's back. Emperor. He is 77 years old, and Ian is still rocking this role. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. He was at the uh, the Star Wars, the, the big Star Wars convention this year. Uh, and he was, boy, you talk about fan service. He was so great. They'd ask him a question and he would like answer the question. And then at the end of it, he would give you like a little emperor. Like he would like he'd answer the question. And then at the end of it, he'd go, like you do the emperor voice. Anyway, just shows that he really likes doing the character. He likes the universe and he interacts with the fans really well. He's been playing the role now for 40 years. Wonderful. What is so smart for Lucas? I guess I don't know if it's dumb luck or not to cast a 30 year old as as fucking Palpatine and just dress him up as old. So that way we could continue with the same guy for the next 40 years. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, so anyway, Vader's talking to the Emperor. He is reassuring the Emperor that he will destroy everything in his path until Obi-Wan is found. The Emperor, the most perceptive person in the entire Star Wars universe, says, you seem agitated, my friend. I wonder if your, your thoughts are clear on this matter, Lord Fater. Perhaps your feelings for your old master have left you weakened. Well done, I'm accent. If your past cannot be overcome, and he dot, 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 ellipses, if it can't be overcome, basically, I might have to drop you, bro. Like, you, mm-hmm. you might be in trouble here. Fader straightens up. Kenobi means nothing. I serve only you, my master. Then we get it, Spencer. We get the Imperial March. You talked about moments that made you teary-eyed. This was one of my teary-eyed moments in this episode, just the Imperial March return. Its absence from Star Wars media led us to have an actual reasonable debate about whether about whether Lucasfilm had lost the rights to this music just because of how I don't think it was a, was not a reasonable debate. I will throw that right out. It, you said it. Evidence you, you, and foundation. You started saying... I think that Lucasfilm had, might have lost the rights to the Imperial March. I thought it was absurd. I dismissed years. it and hand-waved it. I dismissed it and hand-waved it that possibly Disney had the foresight to not lose the rights to the Imperial March. They did not. They were just waiting for the right moment, Spencer. And I do I do think it was pretty affecting when they pulled it out. Spencer, you really think that, that Disney lawyers who won the Powell case back in the day could – forget to own the rights to one of the best parts of Star Wars music, you think they could have forgotten. 
if I, I was, it was, I was to the point of where I almost hoped they had, because it would have been the funniest damn shit in history that Disney lost the rights to the Imperial March. I mean, it has been a while since the Imperial March showed, March showed up. So, so, so part of what I loved about it, we were talking about when we were watching it, that it was only a little bit, and it was almost like. It was like the saddest little Imperial March ever. It's understated, like, yeah. It was so understated. It was really kind of almost almost pathetic, and I loved that. I hope that was on purpose. It was so hollow. Like, it was happening. He was... Mm, mm, it, it, yep. it was it, 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 he's gotten everything he always wanted, and he's all alone and miserable, and, and loved it. Perfect read on it, and it's one of the things before. I would have loved to have the Imperial March later, but if this was the one moment they were to bring it out, it's the best fucking possible one moment that they could bring it out. It exactly hits the moment. It is Fans are screaming at their screen that it's finally returned. And like you said, it's portrayed differently than it's ever been before because it's an in-character Imperial March. It is a character that is abandoning everything that was actually motivating him, everything he actually cared about, to invest himself in a cause and there is regret that is going into those tri- that triumphal orchestra. Yeah, I mean, one thing, I not to like parse your stuff too much, Jamie, but you said he has everything he ever wanted and it still feels hollow. He doesn't have everything he ever wanted. Well, right. The only reason, only reason he turned dark is to save Padme. The Emperor, hollow promise, does not save Padme, does not bring her back from, the, from death, even though he sends Vader on a wild goose chase in the comics to go try to do that, even though he knows he can't do it. But still, the still Vader sticks with him, and I think we could do a whole other podcast on when Vader figures yeah, out sliding. when he figures out that he can't that that the Emperor did not save Padme and cannot bring her back from the de- from from death. Why does he stay with the Emperor? And that's a really good question that we could ponder uh, mm-hmm. for all in the podcast. Um, cut to Alderaan, lush green, beautiful Alderaan. Uh, I feel like I'm just hyping you up all podcast, Spencer. But one thing you said that I really couldn't get out of my head as we've gone through these episodes is that they it does seem like they've tried to draw the parallel to Alderaan and Earth as much as possible. They've mm-hmm. tried to make Alderaan look like Earth. Why? To make us all super fucking sad in episode four when he gets blown to bits. That's why. It's brilliant. It, it's just like his aunt. Why, stop making me care about things that I didn't care about that I've already seen go poorly. Yeah. I was okay that it was, you know, sad and i had even i've had canons that are funny and interesting about alderaan and now you're actually making me care in my heart oh That's yeah cruel. And, and it's it's all it's hearkening back to lord of the rings kind of imagery in terms of trade where it's these crystal white spires it is this just just perfect community and perfect landscape of well-ordered you know government An- and anti-slavery and democracy but also princes and princesses because it's cool to have both of you can because cool things are cool it's england yes. it's england yes <laughs> uh, uh, no 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 let, 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 let's be kinder to all around than that oh lost, did, lost all the english viewers <laughs> did, did, didn't you see the sun and the little news and the little news reader in the back there in terms of newspapers they had available i saw it it was on alderaan too leia's getting dressed up she puts her boots on she combs her hair just a little bit she's got the buns she puts the um, gloves on and the holster that Obi-Wan gave her. Her mother walks in. She looks at Leia confused. Is that a holster? Leia smiles. Leia's mother says, I love it. I'm calling Bria Organa her mother because, you know, she is. She is. Uh, she says, I love it. Leia tells her, Dad, uh, if I'm going to do this, I want to change a few things. And then she asks, who are we seeing today? Another cousin? He's like, eh, not quite. Off the ship comes Obi-Wan Kenobi with Lola. Who am I to separate a young girl from her droid? What a cute line. Bail Organa says, we can never repay you. Obi-Wan says, well, she has already done that. Another great line from Obi-Wan showing the connection he's got with Leia. B-12 
Baal, fe- Baal fears for her future. In, in talking to Obi-Wan, he says, I fear for her future. The Empire grows stronger and bolder. Obi-Wan, well, if you ever need my help again, you know where to find me. I feel like that's a pr- great setup for when they go try to find Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Yeah. When they go, they go try to find him again. Bale says, let's hope that day never comes. Sorry for you, Bale. That day will come in about 10 years. Obi-Wan goes up to Leia and says, uh, and Leia says, what will you do now? Obi-Wan, I don't know. What do you think I should do? Leia, I think you should sleep. <laughs> Great line. Um, Obi-Wan laughs. He crouches down. Leia, potential line of the episode here. Leia, when I said before that I didn't know your parents, parentheses, I lied. Mm-hmm. Princess Leia Organa, you are wise, discerning, kind-hearted. These are qualities that came from your mother. But you are passionate. You are also passionate, fearless, and forthright. These are gifts from your father. Both were exceptional people, born an exceptional daughter. I wish I could tell you more. And Leia says, "It's okay. You don't have to tell me anymore." Uh, and I've previously criticized the show for its music work, particularly its unwillingness to use various John Williams standards in the past. This episode knocks yep. it out of the park, though, just in terms of just they've been very sparing with them before, and it kind of made for some scenes that they could have made more powerful. Princess Leia's theme starts yep. to turn on when he starts recounting about her parents. Princess Leia's theme, and it's great. And it builds up to immediately then doing Binary Sunset, the Tatooine theme as he exits out of the scene. Where, Wonderful. Oh, God, the classic Star Wars music is back, and I'm crying. I thought it was great. See, uh, I, I, this is part of the reason why I love you guys so much for this, because I, I, I probably get the feeling from these things, but I don't notice the different musics that much. My, my my wife is actually looking at me from the other side of the room because she notices all these and she tells me most of them as she's sitting next to me. And then I hear you guys. Yeah, it was Leia's. Yeah, notes. it was Leia's. Leia's theme. It was a good call by Spencer, and it was it was perfect because she's becoming Leia. That's great. Um, so Obi Wan then says um, to her, um, may, she says, "We'll ever see you again." And Obi Wan says, "Maybe someday if you ever need help from a tired old man." But we must be careful. No one must know, or it could endanger us both. Here's the sentence. Spencer, you might not like it. A lot of people might not like it. This is their attempt at an explanation for why it, in what Leia says in the hologram uh, message to Obi-Wan, she, she appears to not know him. This is the, this is the explanation that he explains. Oh, my father in the, yeah. Yeah. He, you, let, let's, let, let's hide. He's telling her we need to hide the fact we know each other. I, as soon as I heard it, I knew what they were trying to do. I also knew that like, 40% of the Star Wars universe would go, ah, it doesn't work for me. So, I don't know. Yeah, I had three good reasons why she did that, because I was thinking about that, too. One is, one is this, what you just said. One, another is, that was a professional message, even if it was hidden, and she's a senator, so she's not going to be gushy-friendly. She's going to be as formal as possible. And the third is, later, she's a senator. She's a professional. She's an adult. There was somebody who liked her when she was 10, who would go on a lot of adventures. He might not remember her as much as she remembers him, she might think. So, Wanting to make sure that, you know, maybe maybe he does this all the time or something. So anyway, I, so, I think all three of those reasons work together. But I did like it. I liked how they led this off. Worked for Jamie. Spencer, why didn't it work for you? <laughs> I, I don't care that much. It, 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 it ultimately is in the category of they need an explanation. We debated in the last few episodes how they would do it. And we were going with whether she heard Obi-Wan versus Ben, whether he cleared her memory. They ultimately just decided eh, it was a style of presentation. It's like... Okay, fine. It's like I don't, I don't buy it. It's not great, but I don't really care that much because it's again, it's it, it's not that big of a deal. I, I I would dispute you on the idea that it was professional senatorial. That 
It was a private message that she buried in a droid that was only going to this guy. Why wouldn't you make it personal oh, at that point? I, I can tell you why. Because she learned from her father. Her father taught her very well. And he taught her. Don't hey, send these messages. If you're sending secret messages, maybe don't say, oh, I'm going to Luke Skywalker. You know, the son of Darth Vader that he doesn't know about that. I'm going to record this message and send it across the galaxy at 225 Earth Dirt Lane. And we're going to go there on Tuesday. And I hope nobody ever intercepts this. Here's mm-hmm. a list of all Luke's fears. Yep. Yeah, we, yep. we complained that about rough. that scene previously. <laughs> Yep, we we did talk about that. Um, Yeah, so she learned from him. Secrets are not always kept secret. Talking code in your secrets. Here's how how I explain that, Jimmy. Maybe it lands with you. It didn't land with Spencer at all. Shocking. Is that, well, is that they were trying to show that this was, that when it comes to immediate physical safety of someone's children, that people act irrational. Like normal people who have like reasonable like approaches to life We'll take an AK-47 and spray a fucking room full of people if you take their child. Like, and so that is the explanation that Bale is, this is not in keeping with Bale. It's not supposed to be. He's acting irrationally because of the immediate threat to his child. That's the explanation. It doesn't fool me because he could have given the exact same message with just the tiniest bit of, hey, we know what we're talking about. And it would have been fine. I hope they not thinking. I'm going to go to the place where you and I met or something like that. He's not thinking. That's the whole point. Um, with, with respect to the, the Leo Obi-Wan conversation, this is ultimately just such a minor issue in lore. I didn't even necessarily need the sentence because I didn't care that there was an inconsistency. Well, the, he, here's the thing. When she he, uh, so in, in episode four, I think she never sees him. Or except but, maybe like as he's dying or something. But when they say like Ben Kenobi, she gets excited. Now, in episode four, it would have been like the person I sent the message to. But it actually works really well. You know, it's retconning because it wasn't you know, what was told to them as the backstory, but she was I excited. Think, uh, you know, you know the, the actress was excited when she heard that it was Kenobi because it's my friend. I remember him kind of thing. It's, so. I, you know, Spencer, you say, I don't care that they, they didn't have to explain it because I don't care that there's an inconsistency. I think there'd be a lot of problems. If, if like Lucasfilm heard that sentence, they did, there'd be a lot of problems they'd have with it. Like they didn't necessarily do it to make you feel good. I think they do it because they care that it's consistent. They want it to be consistent. They're striving for that. Like, it's not like a, I, I hope Twitter is okay with this. It's like, we're writing this to try to be consistent. That's our goal. So that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. Um, Obi-Wan says, goodbye, princess. May the force be with you. And we get this, we get Princess Leia's theme, bridging us to a new hope. Uh, mm-hmm. Leia runs back and hugs her mother with Lola right. on the holster. Okay. Before we move on, though, back to Tatooine or anything, I wanted to say two things from the scene. One, they trust those guards a whole lot to have those guards know and stand there and watch and be aware that Obi-Wan's still alive and can hear this conversation where he's two for tied. Secret service. They trust their secret service a lot more than I would uh, in in this situation. I'm sure they're writing in now in terms of retroactive explanation that those two guys died on the Tantive Four fighting for Leia because of how loyal those dudes are. The second thing was... Is it hard to believe that the Organas have some troops that are loyal to them? Are, are we really thinking that that yes. takes us out of it? Yes, because Bale said that they weren't. Because Bale went personally because he didn't trust sending an army to do it. Yeah, it's and even the way... Look, has Star Wars not taught you that sometimes people who are reasonably believed to be good can turn to the dark side? Because I feel like that's kind of one of the messages of the entire movie. 
just explain just explain that Vale was not acting rationally when he was dealing with his children. But anyway, I guess uh, that just doesn't doesn't nobody the, cares about that. The second thing, which is almost more of a joke, but I still want to say it. Are we sure Padme was insightful? Because all I hear is Iago going, "Excellent judge of character." Oh yes, excellent judge of character. Because uh, I'm just saying, uh, not. Uh, Obi Wan gets on the ship. Cut to Obi Wan. He's packing stuff up. He's clearly back on Tatooine, and he's got the toy for Luke. Uh, it's that Lambda uh, C4A, I think. Um, Skyhopper. Thing. It's, it's, um, it's T16 Skyhopper, I think. T16, okay. He decides to take it. Then we see um, Obi Wan coming up to Lars. He gets off the thing he's writing and he walks up to Owen uh, and he says, um, Luke. Uh, he sees Luke. Owen asks him what he's doing there. Uh, he said, Thought you were going to keep your distance. Obi Wan says, I will, I will, I will. But you know you were right. He just needs to be a boy. The future will take care of itself. The only protection he needs now, Owen, is you and Baru. Take good care of him. Obi-Wan goes to walk off. Owen says, I will. Ben, you want to meet him? Of course he does. Obi-Wan smiles, walks over. He has the toy in his hand. Gives us the line that we all want. Hello there. I Smiling ear to ear. Didn't even know I wanted it so much. Yep. Hello there. Your idea that they didn't do the line earlier when it wasn't time for laughing and smiling and being silly, but then they did actually give us this one. Which, yeah, I think a lot of people don't even know it's a thing. The only people who know it's a thing are happy. And more people than you think don't know it's a thing, won't even recognize that there was a line. I I actually adored that we got such an extended epilogue series of scenes at the end of this series. So it's like so many people complain about Return of the King or it never ended. We just got endings after endings. It's like, I'm with it. I love that we got all these little bits of character resolution in a six episode show in terms of these little moments of properly written exits to characters. It's great. I'm I'm adoring it. Um, So he says hello there. And then we see Obi-Wan leaving and in front of him, see something out there. What is it? Is that Qui-Gon Jinn's music? Liam Neeson is back. Liam Neeson's back. He did it. He has the cameo. And there it is. Qui-Gon Jinn Force Ghost. He says... In all of the beautiful baritone that Liam Neeson has. Well, it took you long enough. Um, and Obi-Wan says, I was beginning to think you never came. And then Qui-Gon says, I was always here. You were just re- not ready to see. So what this tells us is that Qui-Gon's Force Ghost was a presence in Obi-Wan's life. Obi-Wan was so disconnected from the course, he could not see him, could not communicate with him. But this entire journey that he's been on in these six episodes has brought him that much closer to the Force. And now he can commune with Qui-Gon as a Force Ghost. Qui-Gon says, come on, we've got a ways to go. We want takes off with Qui-Gon's Force Ghost and end of series. Indeed. Rob, it's a wonderful moment to end on. I mean, we were debating from the from the word go about whether Liam Neeson would actually reappear in the series. He pretty much straight up said he wasn't, which I'm guessing he had marching orders from Disney on that point. Um, but it's subtle and it. Also, it's a delightful little end to the character. It suggests there's more things to come. And it's also one of those moments of where if they didn't know they had a season two or the rights to potentially have one, they still intentionally included this scene to have a character reference that the journey continues. They, they This gave them an opening to the idea that there's more story here. There are more adventures. We've got years more to tell. My, my my theory on why people love Star Wars and the same theory on why they love Star Trek, actually, just something that they both have in common, is that they've both made a world bigger than what's on screen. Yeah. And 
and they they show it to you in big ways and little ways. And this was just the little way that they were, or I guess this was a big blatant hand slap way of stuff happened during those years with Obi-Wan. Maybe all he did was hang out and commune and become stronger in the force so that he would be able to instantly force ghost. Mm-hmm. Maybe he goes on more adventures, maybe he trains, who knows, but something happens. And yeah, you had to know ever since like episode one, you know, show one of this, that Liam Neeson's voice if not physicality would be there, you know, it's the Chekhov's gun idea. If you have a gun on a on the counter and every character keeps looking about it or mentioning it in acts one and two, somebody has to fire that gun in episode three or in, in act three, or you've wasted the time, energy and attention on something that didn't matter. You don't give them the payoff and it physically like hurts the feelings of the audience and wastes their time. You wouldn't have done all that if you weren't going to have him or at least his voice. I like that physically he was there because um, they could have gotten away with just his voice. I think. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, Lee, Lee, would you say, I think, I think the main debate we had was, would they reuse old material? Like the similar thing they're doing with Darth Vader's voice if where it's remixing through a computer because, you know, James Earl Jones is too old to really deliver it again. Would they be reusing old lines and old snippets and working that in as just dialogue or kind of spliced in imagery the same way they did when they changed uh, Anakin on the Blu-ray into Hayden Christensen on, um, on the Force Ghosts at the end of the Battle of Endor. I don't know what you're talking about there. I'm glad you don't. Um, but I uh, I thought that, I thought, yeah, it was, or whether is he going to be there? Exactly. Would it be new filming or would they be using recycling old footage? I also thought there was a chance, well, I was wrong, but I thought there's a chance that he might go go to Yoda because very explicitly Yoda told him, I will help you figure out how to talk to Qui-Gon. And that was like the last time they talked. So it would make sense to go to him to try to learn that. And I thought maybe he would go to Yoda and then he would see Yoda and Qui-Gon's Force Ghost. That did not occur. He just saw Qui-Gon's Force Ghost. So he just skipped a step. But either way, uh, we got Liam Neeson. It's awesome. And I venture to guess if we get a season two of Obi-Wan, we'll probably get Force Ghost Liam Neeson, which will be awesome. All right. That is the end of the recap. Let's go to best line of the episode. I've got a few nominees. Um, I will start with Obi-Wan talking to Roken, uh, and then he turns to the entire crew and he says, you have spent 10 years protecting the Jedi. This is my chance to return the favor. Mm -hmm. Um, Nominee for me, occurring pretty shortly after that, when uh, Obi-Wan gives Leia the holster from, I'm already blanking on the name of the character. What is Indira Varma's character? Tala. Tala, Tala. thank you. Uh, Well, I wasn't going to give you a blaster, Leia. You're 10 years old, but you won't always be. Yep. It's a it's a great line. It's a really it's a delightful. We, we thought at the moment possible capstone to their relationship. Cut to Obi Wan with his lightsaber prepping for the fight. He's bit back. He's in the locker room before he goes out to the ring, and he says, "I have to face him, Master. Whether he dies or I do, this ends today." Follow up from that a few minutes later. Did you really think that you can defeat me? You have failed, Master. A, a series of great lines, Manikin. I I really liked. Uh, have you come to destroy me, Obi Wan? And then that. Obi-Wan harkening back to episode three. I will mm-hmm. do what I must. Uh, Anakin. Anakin's gone. I am what remains. Love that line. Um, hard to say it without crying. I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. I, continue on. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. The same way I will destroy you. I, I love the tra- I love the conflicting thoughts and feelings and desires that are going into every moment of that series of sentences. It's just a great run that we go through. And though the lighting is obvious, it is very well executed for the feelings we should have during it. Uh, I like Obi-Wan to Riva. 
when she says, well, have I become him? And he says, no, you've chosen not to. Who you become now, that is up to you. Great lesson for all of us, right? Like, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we get choice. Life is about choices. It's the choices we make, right? Back to old Dumbledore. Absolutely. Uh, two more for me. Uh, hello there. Just warms my heart in ways Woo! I never thought it would. It's just so great to have that in there. Uh, it even says it like, you know, Alec Guinness. It's great. Hello there. Yep, he does. Um, what's your last one? Last one is, and it's again, it's just a Liam Neeson's a great actor. I love how utterly jaunty, how just how let's go off into the adventure. The line is, I was always here, Obi-Wan. Come on, we've got a ways to go. It, it's just yep. so much the character of let's go off in an adventure kind of feeling now. And it's a perfect way to end the star, bit of Star Wars media. Little Gandalfy and Obi-Wan always had that, or Qui-Gon always had those qualities of Gandalf, mm-hmm. right? Um, Absolutely. Jimmy, what did you think was the best line of the episode before I award it? You've said them all. You went through 20 of them. I, everything <laughs> on my list, you already said. So I have, I, what am I left with? Um, are we seeing a cousin? I think that's the only line you've left me with that you didn't already <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're asking you to pick. You're a guest. What is the oh. best line of the episode? Um, so if I'm picking the best one of the episode, I, I would probably have to say that it's um, uh, from, from Anakin. You know, his, his lines when he was, you know, half-faced and everything of, uh, I'm not your failure, whether you take that as him or as Darth, which I you, you sold me on that, making me love that even more, that that is Anakin peeking through. But the whole I did this to myself kind of thing, you know, I killed him. I'll go with that. If I'm if I'm picking one, uh, I'll pick that. I won't repeat many, many, many. But, yeah, I'll go with that. Best line of the episode, part six of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I'm going to award best line of the series. That's right. This is the best line of the series is I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. Uh, top line in Star Wars media they're, they're for me agreement. all time. I throw that one up very, very high on the list. Very emotionally impacting for me. If you loved the prequels, and I know not everybody did, that's okay. But for me, I did. And that 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 relationship with Obi-Wan and Anakin that played out in the prequels and the pain that happened on Mustafar, and then, in my opinion, Anakin peeking out to try to give his master one last bit of comfort before he's completely subsumed in Darth Vader fucking rocked my shit. It was very emotional. I, I wasn't even that fond of the prequels, but I think it's one of the most effective filmed Star Wars moments in years. Through the new movies, through the little side movies they've done, in terms of just character interactions, that was beautiful what they executed in those moments right there. And as as the third person here, I think the prequels are terrible, and I rewatched them, and they... <laughs> Just as bad as I remembered, but I still love that scene. So this is this is something works for everybody across the spectrum of how accurate are you at knowing that the prequels were bad. I think one of the things that some of this some of this additional media that's coming out, you know, you had Mandalorian, um, you know, Obi Wan, you got some of the books. One of the things that they do, sort of by by proxy or just sort of um, as an as a kind of uh, just a an effect that maybe they, they didn't intend, but is there nonetheless is to make you go back and appreciate different parts of the story through a different lens. Like I think mm-hmm. season two of Mandalorian made a lot of people go back to clone wars and appreciate clone wars more, especially with the introduction of certain characters like Ahsoka, for instance, um, or Bo-Katan. But then you also have, you know, this series, which I really think, you know, Disney has talked about how since this series debuted, the streaming numbers of the prequel movies have gone through the roof. The number of people who have gone back and started watching the prequels. And I've, I've, you know, got seen a number of people online say that 
the the series helps them see the prequels through a different lens. They they're appreciating it more. I know that like Hayden Christensen caught nothing but shit in the early 2000s for his portrayal of Anakin. Everybody says he sucks, et cetera, et cetera. And now everywhere he goes, he gets a standing ovation from Star Wars fans. Maybe it's absence make the heart grow fonder type thing. You know, he just hasn't been around in a while and we missed him. But I also think it's maybe going back and looking and saying, you know what? Maybe he did a little bit of a better job than we originally thought. I think some fans are going through that. Jamie, you are not, but some are and uh, oh. and are appreciating it more. So all, all, all tongue-in-cheek aside, I want to say, because I, I, I haven't rewatched all of them since then, but this made me want to go watch the prequels. And now that you've said it, I want to go watch episode four after this. I've only yes. watched episode one of the prequels since watching these the TV show. All tongue-in-cheek, all criticism aside, there are parts in episode one that are better because of the Obi-Wan TV show, or at least hit me in a way that I appreciate and enjoy more. Almost every scene between you know baby Anakin and Padme is more emotional because I've, you know, she's not even in this now, but that hit harder as just the tragedy of the whole thing. The scenes with him and Obi-Wan are not that numerous in episode one. Their relationship isn't really built there, but even those, I saw that and my brain flips to the scene I had just seen of them hitting each other in the head with lightsabers. And like it, it, it was improved now from a zero out of a hundred to a, 0.05 0.05 out of 100 it's improvement that's but a move I, I, right I, there it made the prequel episode one better just by existing good um okay spencer nostalgic moment of the episode uh i mean first thing i gotta mention is just the actor returns hayden christensen returning as as anakin truly returning as anakin yes. was great i mean Biggest problem I had with with with, with uh, his role in the prequels was not the actor. I thought he did as well as he could with some pretty poor scripts and way too much green screen in terms of how it was presented. Yep. Giving him actual proper setting and a dramatic moment and some good lines, he knocks it out of the park. He does great with that. And it's wonderful to have him be appreciated by the Star Wars community. Star Wars community can be an angry mess of people. They've been hurt before and they're ready to hurt again. Um, and so it's nice to see everyone just be happy with a guy with respect to a return to a yep. I love that too, that, that, that he's a being, he's now being embraced. He's he, he even said that. And I, um, in an interview, which I thought was really cool. He said, you know, I did get a lot of hate, you know, when the movies came out and he said, but you know, maybe it just took, what did he say? Maybe it just took 20 years, but mm. either way, uh, now, you know, now he feels the love. Yeah. Um, Liam returning his qui was like. I, we figured he'd be back yes. in some shape or form, but to see him actually acted and cl- yeah. really bring in the Qui-Gon feel to it and bring in just a sense of fun with the character and making me legitimately excited for what the adventures the two of them are going to get on is just nostalgia bait all to shit. Pan a minute yes. has problems. Actually acted and cl- really yeah. bring in the Qui-Gon feel to it and bring in just a sense of fun with the character and making me legitimately excited for what the adventures the two of them are going to get on is just nostalgia bait all to shit. Phantom Menace yes. has problems. It has issues. Qui-Gon was not really the worst of them. No, no. no Qui-Gon was a great part of that. Come with me, Obi-Wan. We have to go kill Darth Maul. Because he does kill Darth Maul later. And Jamie, you would think you're... Qui-Gon would want to kill him. That's the joke. Go ahead, Jamie. Uh, for my nostalgic moment. Uh, no, no, you look like you're about to say something there. Oh, just that, that you're right. That Qui Qui Gon was one of the best parts. Um, I mean, o- Obi Wan and Qui Gon were the two best parts of Episode One by mm-hmm. a significant margin. 
Um, and Darth Maul was really good. He, it, it's almost surprising looking back how little screen time Liam Neeson actually has in the nine movie series for mm-hmm. just the impact that you have. Yeah, he had some agreed. crappy lines. He had some topics that he was forced to kind of do. But mm-hmm. even parts that I forgot, I do want us to. I, I, today's probably not the day. We've gone long enough. When do we get to go dig through episode one? Can we just do that like <laughs> offline? Because I want to rant I, about I, a lot. I'm of down. It I might be a fun thing, fun thing to do until we wait for House of the Dragon. Yeah, we'll get to that in the housekeeping at the end. Uh, what was your nostalgic moment of the episode, Jamie? Princess Leia. Princess Leia with the holster and with the music and, you know, with with her embracing what she, she's being given from both of her parents, which, you know, my joke aside about Padme making poor choices. No, they're both Anakin and Padme were wonderful characters in a lot of ways. And she, Leia is wonderful. So Leia. And I've got. Three more, one of which is my favorite. Uh, oh, wait, we get more than one again? I forget them so many times. We get plenty of nostalgic moments. It's Star Wars. It's what it runs on. Um, but, yeah, those two actors turning. Another actor returning. Ian McDermott. Uh, De- That's De- mine. That's mine. The Emperor is my nostalgic moment of the episode. Uh, him properly returning and channeling those Emperor vibes. Man, that guy's had a hell of a career playing the same character over decades, and he's still selling it well. I wonder if your emotions are... Yeah, he's got enough power. He doesn't even need to finish his lines. You already know exactly what he's going to say. And Vader snaps to attention at the call of his voice. Well, well sold, well portrayed. And it provides the sentence that we needed as to why uh, Vader is not actively pursuing Obi-Wan for every day of the rest of his life. That It provides a sentence and it provides it by, by, by the original actor doing it. So great, great job there. Uh, Which to- actually kind of makes sense, too, right? That the Emperor would tell him, hey. Maybe this fixation on him isn't good for your training. Why don't we back off that a little bit? That actually does make sense to me. Yeah, the, the, the Emperor's looking at this. And I just got a report from the captain of the Star Destroyer that says you let how many people go to go yeah, after Obi-Wan? Yeah. We're and, then and, and then lost. And then lost. And yeah, <laughs> like, they had to go save you. And by the way, if he wants to keep commanding people and that Star Destroyer really didn't save much face, haha, face, did he? Mm-hmm. When they had to go pick him up off that planet and fucking save his life. You, you, sir, you had a day, and we're going to talk about that in your annual performance review. That's the vibes he's giving right here. Yikes. I, uh, I loved, I loved that they he still called him my friend because that was so much of you know that their relationship was always interesting, even when I even things I didn't like was interesting in the prequels, mm-hmm. and him being so weirdly, I mean, insidious, mm-hmm. like insidious, passive aggressive, threats behind smiles. It's everything. Mm-hmm. That Darth- should be. And it's just that glimpse that even these 10 years later, no, he's still doing his thing. They're still having a very similar relationship as far as that goes. Of I'm on your side and I'm your friend. Oh, but there's this problem that you're causing for me. What are we going to do about the problem of you now? Yeah. Let's talk about how you're fucking up and you need to change in our friendship before we can keep going forward. Yeah. Like, be- Help me to help me here. Come on. <laughs> I agree with all this. This is you're, great. You're suggesting that Darth Sidious is rather insidious? Yeah, I love it. I think it's a very... Well, I mean, after after General Grievous, and I, I, I assume that the planet, the, the smoky planet, was called Smoke Rotherson. I, I, I'm guessing Umbra or something a little bit more subtle, maybe, but sure. Yeah, Smoke Rotherson works great. By the way, uh, you keep in, keep in count at home. Uh, General Grievous, that's two for two. J- Jamie's been on the podcast twice. He referenced the name General Grievous uh, sarcastically in both episodes. So he's he's yeah, two for two on General Grievous. It's the worst one. It's, but, it's so bad. 
<laughs> I, I love that you mentioned the, the use of my friend because they're related. I love the, through the prequels, they've set up their relationship is just straight up manipulative gaslighting. And yes. it's, it, it's not a partnership. This, no. is, this, this isn't an equal kind of relationship. This is a master abusing his apprentices the way the Sith always have. And 100%. just particularly toxically. Uh, two more. Uh, Billy, what's my favorite? Hello there is just like you've injected my childhood in my veins. I was not expecting how hard that that would hit and leave me just teary-eyed in a moment. Hello but there. It, it's perfectly timed, perfectly executed. W- wonderfully done with respect to that. But nostalgic moment of the episode for me, the return of the music. The return of the classic Star Wars music in the form of uh, the Imperial March, Binary Sunset, and Princess Leia's theme. Music has a nostalgia effect on me and on countless of the fan base beyond what anything else can accomplish. And the moment that they blended those in, and so perfectly, because how pissed off I was at their absence going through, the fact that they blended them in and picked perfect moments to bring them back was masterfully executed. I still think they could have brought them in previously. I still think there's ways they could have done that to make certain scenes more powerful, or at least just, you know, hire John Williams to do new, new, new songs. He can still do them. But the, bringing in the classic material here in terms of the moments, the timing, the execution, it was perfect. It was flawless. And I felt like I was a kid back watching, you know, uh, New Hope, the extended edition back in the early 90s again, in terms of just the feel that it had on me to have these music hit at the perfect moments. So the return of the music is definitely my nostalgic moment of the episode. And mine is uh, The Emperor. Um, OK, Jamie? all right, let's. You, yeah. Princess Leia, you said, Jamie? Uh, yeah, you said that, Princess Leia, yeah. I, I'll stick with one. Because I understand what the singular nouns mean. He Moment. picks it. He says a lot, and then he—they're all nominees, and then he selects one. Okay. Um, there you go. Yeah. So now we'll go to—is uh, is this on par with the quality of the prequels? We'll go with Jamie first. We can get negativity out of the way. Jamie, is this um, on par with the quality of the prequels in your mind? I think it is at least on par, perhaps even better. Oh. Okay. All right. Perhaps even better. I, I, you might be surprised to hear that from me. I was a fan, and I think it definitely holds up at least as well as the prequels do. Okay, he likes it as good, better than the prequels. Spencer, uh, <clears throat> thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. I, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Um, the series, biggest problem with the series was in terms of the A to B to C, they always had a problem with the B, and just in terms of getting characters between the great moments that they wanted them to have. This episode still had the same problems to a certain degree, but the scenes that it had, the A and the C, were just stellar. The duel between Vader and Obi-Wan, the wonderful dialogue that went into that, the Reva plotline coming to a believable and quite actually moving execute uh, conclusion. Uh, the delightful epilogue scenes that are just one great moment after the next. All of that is catnip. All of that is well done. I think it exceeded expectations in that regard completely. Okay, for me, it is a thumb sideways. Um, there are some really heavy, heavy emotional moments. But the thing that I love the most about the prequels is the storytelling. I think the story itself is extremely, extremely good. Is the is the execution with the green screen and the, the this and that. I mean, you, obviously there's some flaws in them, but I loved the story of the prequels and how it connected everything up going into the four, five, and six, and how it all just sort of made sense. Um, little things like you know why fucking you know I guess it's not so little but like the explanation for why Darth Vader's in the suit. I mean we just got all this stuff in the prequels and great storytelling that I really enjoyed. Um, I don't think the storytelling in this is quite as good as the prequels, but the execution probably is a little better than parts of the prequels. So that's why I give it a sideways. But for me, thumb sideways when compared to the prequels is really good because I love mm-hmm. the prequels and I watch them all the time. I really appreciate them. Um, all right. 
I think we have wrapped up our coverage of Obi-Wan Kenobi, potentially the entire series, maybe series one. Here's what I'll say about housekeeping going forward. Um, we may, we just kicked around the idea, we may talk about on this feed, may just do a review of some of the Star Wars movies. That might be a fun thing to do in the interim um, because we're kind of between shows. Uh, we're ending this on June 26. We are ramping up to our coverage of House of the Dragon on a podcast feed called Pod of the Dragon. So if you want to listen to us talk about the House of the Dragon series, go subscribe right now to Pod of the Dragon. That feed is live. You can go check that out. We've also reviewed the trailer. That podcast is up. But that will premiere on August 21st. So we kind of got this like almost two-month period where we're in between shows. Not quite sure what we'll do, but uh, it will likely be on this feed or on our Mangum Talks TV feed. Either way, uh, we will be with you soon, but at a bare minimum, we will be covering House of the Dragon premiere August 21st. We'll be with you week by week. Hell, we may even do reaction episodes. Go back to our old GOT Got Questions format. Do a reaction episode. I don't know. Hell, it's going to be a big time because we're going back into the world of Westeros. Really exciting. Spencer, anything you want to say about that? Uh, I think I think in terms of going into the Star Wars movies, that might be a lot of bit of fun. I haven't seen... Um, I have not watched Phantom Menace probably in more than 20 years. Uh, I don't really have a modern, like, adult view on it. I think unpacking it with you guys could actually be quite a trip. Jamie, would you be up for that? Talk talk a little Phantom Menace with us? I would absolutely uh, be be happy to talk about that. I'd be happy to hear, especially, Spencer, what your take is, because I've probably watched it once every five years or so at least in large part. So by rewatching it now was a little bit of a trip, but didn't change much for me. So I'd love to hear how maybe, maybe you think Terry's right. Maybe you think it's a gem to, to quote Harrison Ford, whenever he's asked about the star Wars TV TV special, I've never seen it. Maybe it's great. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I liked, uh, I liked Phantom Menace and we, we, yeah, we potentially can do that, but at a bare minimum go over to, pod of the dragon that feed and that's where we'll be reviewing house of the dragon every week super excited to return to westeros with spencer we're gonna get our baratheon and targaryen and and stark banners out and we are gonna do the thing looking forward to that thanks everybody for joining us here on our coverage of obi-wan see you next time